0: Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South Podcast. I am Conor Gira. Will, could you have scored a touchdown for LSU on Monday?
1: I feel like it, man. We had like some some dudes. Derek Davis, who's in the transfer portal and used to be a safety, was out there getting carries it right back. <laughs> it's
0: amazing to think about how overmatched Purdue was in that game. And it definitely opened up the conversation for anybody that was at home watching that game with their buddies of can I score right now? Because <laughs> I don't know. It just kind of those vibes were were definitely there, especially by day's end for a very overmatched Purdue team that did not surprisingly did not get a, a significant boost from Drew Breeze interim analyst did not um, matter that much. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. We do. We really do. Plan for today is recapping bowl victories for LSU. Not so much a recap for LSU because that wasn't really a game and Mississippi State's we have national championship preview. We're going to bring on Josh Pate. We're going to talk with Sheehan Raja. And then we're going to close with a little bold and brash national championship edition and a lad of the week before we dig into everything. Well, in the O'Gara household this week, it is turkey burger week, which I love. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's the thing that I cook best. And yes, I did say that just like Kevin from the office. It's the thing I do best. That's connor your boy with green chili turkey burgers shout out fit men cook great little cooking book that i refer to very often um Mm -hmm. but what do i do with these turkey burgers gotta have barbecue sauce in them who's got a great barbecue sauce texas pete texas pete has some delicious barbecue sauce and multiple kinds of barbecue sauce i got three different kinds of barbecue sauce from texas pete in my household right now i might just have a different one every single day on a turkey burger I bet Lauren will probably mix and match within the burger. She is the sauce boss. That's what we call her. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying great way to be able to, to come back, kind of get right after I've had a lot of travel this week. Or this month, I should say, the last four weeks, I feel like I've been everywhere. So that is my get right meal. Texas Pete is helping me get right. Texas Pete has the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or, like I said, their new traditional barbecue sauce, run, don't walk, grab yourself a bottle today. Visit texaspeed.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus, take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday Down South. That is all caps, all one word, Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. All right, let's start with LSU. We're not recapping this game. This was never a fair fight. I don't think it would have been a fair fight if Purdue was at full strength. It was anything but that. It felt more like a cake week game than a Florida Bowl game. But Mm -hmm. the good news, LSU gets win number 10, be able to go into this offseason with some momentum after kind of a frustrating finish to the season, I think you would say. And... To be able to win 10 games, to win the SEC West, including a win against Alabama, that's as good of a year one as you could have asked for from Brian Kelly.
1: Yeah, no, I, I really think so. And like, luckily, they made a lot of their hay in the in the middle of the year. And I kind of said that, like not to be a, a victim of the moment when it comes like the AM game and especially the Georgia game where it's like, hey, man, you know, everybody looks that way against Georgia, even, you know, for the fourth quarter, Ohio State looked that way against Georgia. When Georgia really sticks their teeth into you, it's bad. But point being, yeah, I'm I'm fired up about things to come, fired up about the leadership that Brian Kelly found, not only on the coaching staff, but in this freshman class, they've been dynamic. So it's a great time to be an LSU fan, man two things that I want to hit on um, with LSU receivers. And I put them in the same
0: category just because they play the same position. But obviously, we're talking about some very different things here. Um, let's let's start with the, the Kayshaun Booty mess. And for those who haven't really followed this story, or you've maybe just been locked into your own team, or if you're a fan of a team that didn't go to a bowl game, you've kind of put college football on the back burner. Maybe you're watching just college hoops right now. The Keyshawn Booty rumors, not great. And that's what they are. They are rumors. I'm not going to sit here Mm -hmm. and confirm it. I was alerted of these rumors on Friday night. And if you don't know what I'm referring to, let's just say that word on the streets is that Booty was involved in some adult activities the night before the SEC championship and that he got caught. But ultimately, he was dismissed from the team once Kelly found out about it, which is why, again, these are rumors, which is why he apparently was going to be coming back to LSU and then he wasn't and he was going to the NFL because when we recorded our preview pod, the thought was that Booty was playing in this bowl game and that obviously did not end up happening. And Mm -hmm. I cannot say this enough. I am not confirming these. These are rumors unless someone important comes out and says definitively, yes, this is what happened. We should take that for what it is. But the end result is that Keishon Booty is gone. And I find myself incredibly disappointed that it turned out this way. This was something we talked about in the offseason, the maddening case of Kayshawn Booty. And this was after Brian Kelly had that very odd press conference moment in which he said, yeah, I'm learning his, you know, learn his name, learn his last name. Mm-hmm. And this is coming off the two ankle surgeries. And you're just like, gosh, this is, this is, just doesn't seem like it's going to end well. And then there was a moment where it looked like they had kind of righted the ship together. They got back on the same page and then it just ends in awkward fashion. And it's a shame because he's really talented. And I think he's got some Antonio Brown like abilities with his frame and the way that you can kind of line him up everywhere. But clearly the off the field part is going to be questioned with him at the next level. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. And again, I'm not confirming these rumors. I'm just saying that the off-the-field stuff, there's there's smoke there. There's clearly some mm-hmm. sort of smoke there, regardless of what you think he, his involvement was in this situation. The good news, and, and I can't stress this enough, this is really good news. Well, I think Malik Neighbors is the best returning receiver in the SEC. I do.
1: Man, it's crazy, right? Because those numbers just kinda I hate to say they sneak up on you, but you know, early we talked about nothing but Kayshawn Booty as far as like returning offensive players because there just weren't a ton. Um eh, it was like yeah, a little bit. Yeah, right. Well, that's the thing. I'll it's also like a, b- it. yeah, TCU enjoyer. Um, so point being like it was really like, OK, well, at least they have booty. And then, like you said, you know, they kind of struggled to get on the same page. And during that period of time, Jerry Jenkins was kind of the guy. Um, and Bleak Neighbors, obviously a strong week one, had like, you know, struggled with punt returning, which why is that guy returning punts? Who knows? But point being, like, you know, it, it it's kind of started off with Dre Jenkins. And then it kind of like took Bleak Neighbors kind of took over at a point and he just never really looked back. And I think that with Kayshawn Booty, it was like, you know, he was a big name guy. He was the guy who came in with a lot of hype. But, you know, it, he was not even, I feel like, LSU's second best receiver this year because Jure was the leader in touchdowns, and Malik had nearly double his receiving yards. Like, I thought it was like going to be like an 800, 600, 400 type thing. Nope. No, it's 1,000 for neighbors and 500 for booty as far as LSU's receiving yards last year. So I was, of course, I had to be wrong about something on the last podcast, right? Because I was too much of an SEC homer, and I was like, this is going to come back to bite me. No, no. The SEC looked amazing. Bamboo looked amazing. Georgia looked amazing. All went great. Should have been more of a Big Ten slander because I thought Michigan. I was going to win going away. Um, but in fact, it was that Keyshawn Booty was like um, in this great relationship with LSU, which to your point, it just seems like it's been a little bit weird, and it seems like I don't think he did anything wrong necessarily, but I think that unfortunately he was kind of the poster child of the microcosm for the ed o era and i think that i think brian kelly had to kind of make an example of him sometimes to set some to set some ground rules because he was allowed to kind of be a certain way under coach o and brian kelly just kind of didn't like that and so i think they went back and forth all year and i'm happy the kids going to the nfl i mean for him i thought that it never made a ton of sense for him to come back i was grateful um but like we talked about man you know if anything he hurt his draft stock playing the way he did this year so i think he just probably needs to go be an nfl player because he clearly is one I came away from
0: this situation thinking maybe it's just best for both parties that they're done with each other. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like at this point. And it's fine. Not, not all marriages work out. And sometimes you got to break up from someone to be able to grow as a person. And hopefully that's what happens for K. Booty at the next level, because obviously, you know, that there's going to be a market for him and that somebody's going to want to be able to see what he can do in their offense. And understandably so. But LSU being able to move on, having a guy next year, a guy who um, there might not be five receivers in college football returning who are better than Malik Neighbors. I haven't done a full top 10 receivers returning in 2023 breakdown just yet, but he's going to be pretty high on that list, and he should be because – the more you watch him, and not just in the bowl game, because obviously he's against an overmatched Purdue team, but even what he was doing against Georgia like this dude is making plays, man. The route running, the way that you can line him up anywhere, the fact that he had so much trust from Jaden Daniels and something that really was something that came on in that Mississippi State game, I thought. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't necessarily have these big hundred-yard games, but in those key moments, if you watched LSU, you saw Jaden really develop that trust in him. So I I just think that. That he's going to be somebody that LSU can rely on a lot, and I, I I began to to kind of love his game the more that I watched him. You just stick him in the slot, you know. He doesn't have alligator arms. He can make plays on the outside. He can be physical enough to to win plays, you know, outside the hashes. I I just. I think he's somebody who we're going to be talking about a ton. We should be talking about a ton because, mm-hmm. as it goes for playmakers, it, it does feel like there's a little bit of a changing of the guard in the SEC. And I know I said that with receivers coming into last year, and it feels like we're still at that place. We didn't have a lot of elite receivers in the SEC, and I say that knowing that Jalen Hyatt won the Bolitnikoff Award as the best receiver in college football. But outside of that, mm-hmm. it was kind of it was kind of tough to find. Like, all right, what is that second tier? really look like Cedric Tillman didn't stay healthy and I'm sure that Tennessee fans listening to this are going to say best receiver returning the SEC should be Brew McCoy I'm going to have high projections for Brew McCoy he might be coming to an all SEC team in the preseason from yours truly but in terms of the best receiver in the SEC the most proven coming into next year I think until we see things shake out with the portal I think that's got to go to neighbors right now it's crazy as
1: it sounds Dude, he finished second in the SEC in yards. Right, <laughs> this is a shock to me. Oh, hi, yeah, hi, I mean, that, yeah, that that's the thing. Yeah, and I mean, it's crazy. Like looking up and down this list, it's like, hey, the SEC had a couple of good receivers. They all were on the same team. It appears. It uh, appears that Tennessee had just had three really good receivers, and not to like dump on anybody, you know what I'm saying? Like loved Landers and the way he came on late. I think Tennessee or um Ole Miss had two really good guys. Our boy Juice Wells obviously came on strong, but a lot of those were like late season risers from like tip to tail. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was obviously high at number one and and neighbors was right there. So looking at next year, man, yeah, there might be some transfers in and out perhaps, but Wow, am I about to sell myself more hope? on another yes, receiver? Yes, <laughs> let's do
0: it. And as of this recording, Juice Wells has not announced if he is coming back for another year or if he's going to the NFL. I think there was that there was that like ominous Instagram post with the NFL draft logo. But we, as of this recording, last I had checked Twitter, we hadn't seen any sort of update on him. But I, I still think I would maybe give a slight nod to neighbors, and, and Wells would probably be the second one because of two guys who just played really well done the stretch and their quarterbacks developed a lot of trust in them. So I thought that was a a nice takeaway. Oh, he's definitely Malik neighbors is the best passing receiver returning in college football. That I think is, is his own title. Like that ball that he
1: threw over the middle. I was like (laughs) a little mustard on it. All right. That's not just a floater. Not to do like the 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 inside baseball, the LSU's receiver room, but that's the crazy thing. Like the way that they stockpiled receivers over this kind of class has been really crazy. Uh, Malik Neighbors, like you said, a guy I love. Brian Thomas is like Peyton's favorite player. He's huge. He's like six five. Plays bigger than that. And you remember the catch that Brian Thomas had against Florida that was ruled not a catch, but like the whole bench freaked out. And so like they have their big guy. They have obviously Mason Taylor. And then Aaron Anderson from Alabama, I think, is going to be awesome. If he's only a punt returner, he's going to be the MVP of next year if he just doesn't fumble a punt. So LSU has a lot of really. fun fun. fun guys coming back let's talk a little mississippi state um Mm -hmm. mississippi state
0: wins for the pirates it was a lovely time down in tampa on monday it really was i was really glad and will you've been in some of these spots before where you're like should i go to this game or should i go to this game Mm -hmm. especially during bowl season i was pretty glad that it worked out that i was that i went to tampa instead of staying in orlando because the original plan was i was going to cover the citrus bowl in orlando then obviously everything that happened with mike leach uh, they made the editorial decision to uh, to send me to Tampa, and it was it was cool. I mean, even though the game was a bit of a rock fight for for most of it, we still got a great ending. And sometimes with bowl games, that's about as much as you can ask for. And oh, by the way, when Marcus Banks returned that last play for for a touchdown to give MSU just that that wild cover with the mm-hmm. the lateral play, all that stuff. If you watch the replay, I'm the dude in the blue shirt in the end zone, who's about a foot from the Illinois player who slammed the wall after he couldn't track it down. Like, I kid you not, like I was like right there and I'm thinking to myself, don't get hit by somebody Connor, or <laughs> like I knew I was going to be on TV in that moment. And my entire goal was to stand my ground and just not run out of the way and just sprint like three or four, you know, three or four yards the other way. I, I didn't want to look like that guy in that moment because that's, that's a bad look blocker charge. I was standing in there. I was, I was going to take it no matter what came my way. And if I dislocated mm-hmm. my knee for the fourth time, I dislocated my knee or if I get another concussion, so be it. That's the price you pay for standing in those spots. But nonetheless, it was cool. Um, mm-hmm. Very cool to be there to see what that game meant for Mississippi State. And it meant a lot. It really did. You see Will Rogers break down as the field goal goes in and he was waving the mic flag. With the cowbell before mm-hmm. and after the game, I don't know who came up with that design. That was somebody within the Mississippi State Athletic Department, but that mm-hmm. that cowbell eye, that's that's well done. That's that's Chef's Kiss right there. That that's I and I I'm not a fan of using someone's death as like a you know use it as like a marketing thing or something like that. But I I just thought that was kind of like a cool little you know hat tip to, to leech them, kind of make the, the Mississippi state connection as well. And you saw, you know, all the different tributes players were thrown on pirate hats after the game, which was a fitting transition from, you know, the helmets that they wore the, the pirate flag helmets that they wore during that game. And you can just mm-hmm. see the raw emotion after what's been a really taxing weeks, four weeks for that program, being able to come out with a win to honor their coach. It was very significant. I was talking to Will Rogers afterwards and I asked him what Coach Leach would have thought of of, of that game. And he got choked up. And he said, you know, I don't I don't get to have a bad day. I can't lose it at practice because everyone looks at me as the quarterback for leadership. And I can't show those moments that I'm struggling. And, you know, to to be able to come out here and actually get a win, it meant everything. And it's kind of rare to see a quarterback in a post-game setting like that be so vulnerable. And I thought he was, and Will Rogers just, just owned it. And then you had all the other funny stuff that, that happened afterwards. I I was asking, I asked the Mississippi state kicker um, who just has an all time name, Messimo Biscardi. I think that's how you say (laughs) it. I'm assuming it is. I was asking him what, uh, what Leach would have said to him if he had missed the game winner, which was 27 yards right down the pipe. And uh, he said, um leach would have said i don't understand because it's not that hard he'd say if i had any eligibility left i'd go out there and kick it myself that is what Leach would <laughs> say <laughs> <Yeah>. perfect <laughs> yep as much as this was about honoring mike leach i also thought it was about kind of shifting to the zach garnett era and what mississippi mm-hmm. state is going to become this was a defensive-minded performance i thought in, in every way and the defense was mostly excellent throughout the whole day i mean illinois had a couple of nice drives but outside of that i mean it was it was Pretty slim pickings, and they were pretty overmatched. By it. seven different guys get sacks. The TFLs were there, and Arnett wasn't calling plays in this one. Uh, between like all the, like, yeah, that that was that was an interesting revelation. Players didn't even know about that too. They they had no idea. Jet Johnson didn't know until the fourth quarter of that game. Chet <laughs> Johnson, like the the linebacker, was like taking all the signals. <laughs> Arnett was doing the signals, and then Matt Brock, who was promoted actually to defensive coordinator he was the one that was calling the plays. Arnett realized during this process, he's like, I don't have any time to study Illinois. I, I've got so many other things to worry mm-hmm. about right now, early signing period to probably played a part in that, but all this stuff, you know, with with transitioning to the CEO figure uh, of the program, I thought it was great awareness on Arnett's part to realize like, I shouldn't be calling plays for this game. No, mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't have time. I, I don't have time. I can give that to somebody else and then it worked out really well. I mean, I, I think his time as a head coach, is going to be determined by personnel decisions, just like that. And not so much if the three-three-five is going to be effective on a weekly basis. There will be other big-picture decisions that Arnett needs to be able to own and have the right sort of awareness to be able to use his best judgment. And I—I I, I was telling you before, I had a funny little post-game interaction with him. Um, some parts I can share, and then some parts I can't. I'll save those. Mm-hmm. I'll save some of that for off-the-record post-game press conference. I got a question in early, and then about five minutes later, I had another. So. There was probably three different times that I tried to ask it, and someone talked over me. And so <laughs> he finally gives me a look like, All right, I got you next. And then he answers the other question, and then he just points at me, and I wait for him to point at me to be able to go and answer that question. So afterwards, I was chatting with um the Mississippi state media relations staff and uh Arnett Arnett comes up to me and he goes, you got hosed, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he was right.
0: I did feel like I got hosed. I, and I told him I was just being a Midwest beta guy in that spot. And <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, oops sorry sorry my bad didn't <laughs> even talk works. over you <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh he's like yeah chivalry isn't dead no i knew what you were doing and we chatted for a for for a little bit um off the record after that and i had followed him on the field a bit afterwards so we kind of talked about <clears> some <throat> of his interactions and stuff like that too just just kind of a funny moment to, to have with a coach in a post-game setting like that that i usually don't get and i thought it was it was kind of cool to see him soak that in, in his first game um, as a head coach. And obviously that was very significant, but great introduction to a guy that will be hopefully having on these airwaves sometime soon. We're going to make that happen. I think sometime, maybe in the next month or two, we'll let him get settled in a mm-hmm. little bit more, but overall great experience in Tampa,
1: sunny and 80 degrees for a bowl game. Oh Just, man. Must oh, be nice. dude. actually your battle tested. I can't even say that to you because you were the one freezing a couple weeks ago. So that's a real redemption story for you.
0: I was freezing but in very controllable a very controllable setting. Didn't have to right. go outside for like three days basically from Thursday to Sunday mm-hmm. uh, during Christmas. I don't think I went out. We didn't go outside <laughs> once. We're like, oh yeah, why would why would we do anything like this? But for those who are always wondering like, Oh, why don't, why don't they ever have more bowl games in Northern places like that? Like, did you see January 2nd in Orlando and in Tampa? That's why. And meanwhile, the entire state of Illinois came to this game, which, you know, it was, it was like 33,000 fans or whatever. So it wasn't, but there was a lot of orange in that place. And I'm reminded mm-hmm. as somebody who look, I was born and raised by an Illinois graduate. My mom, you know, graduated Illinois, I think class of 82. Um, you'll do anything to get out of the Chicago suburbs, this
1: time of year you, you definitely will and they they very She's much just talking do. to people at the stage you guys are having a really strong season man what's that running back's name oh i don't know i'm just cold
3: <laughs>
0: I'm i just had a buddy of the party i like i had a buddy who was in town um somebody that i actually used to uh work with in nebraska who was in he was about an hour south of tampa for the week and you know just visiting parents and stuff like that he's like i saw the weather saw it was going to be a beautiful day just drove up here and was like i just go to a bowl game. Yeah. Just, whatever. I don't have a rooting interest in this game, but 80 degrees and sunny, like, Oh, this is perfect. It was, This is a great day. So fun, fun experience overall, but I do feel very, a, a bit traveled out after the weekend that was, there's a reason why I'm not wired like that. Like there are some people who like doing it every weekend. I talk about it with Trey Wallace, like Trey Wallace goes to like, a, like travels to a different game, like basically every single weekend for like 15 weekends out of the year, Josh Pate, same thing. I, I, I'm not there yet. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe I gotta I gotta boost my my toughness or something like that. But <laughs> I, I like being able to kind of pick and choose the games I get to go to.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's crazy, man, that lifestyle. Like, John does a little bit of that, and I'm, yeah, I'm not envious. So. But I'll say this on the Leech thing, man. It's like, this has literally been the best tribute I think I've ever seen. Honestly, like, I think just with the way that everyone's been really tactful, I don't know. I mean, no one's really said anything kind of off, but I think that was kind of the point of Leach is he was a little bit off the cuff, too. So, like, I think that this is exactly like some people, like... Sometimes it's, you know, overdone, sometimes it's underdone. And people aren't given their flowers. I think that this was like so, you know, perfect for him. And and, you know, with all the little touches you talked about, you know, the shirts, the helmets, all that. I think that's amazing. And then on the flip side of that, man, Arnett is a guy that we've both been talking about forever, you know, three through five respecter. That was like one of the first like jokes that we had on here. And, you know, I talked about it, you know weeks before you know maybe like week 10 or week 8 before the stuff happened with Leach I was like hey you know they have this whole coaching staff and it's kind of like wh- what is the vision here going forward because Arnett obviously deserved a coaching job somewhere a head coaching job and it was like crazy that they were able to as- assemble Rogers Leach and Arnett together and it was like you know how is this going to end like is it we getting up another year of this or whatever and I mean it's cool to see kind of that seamless transition to your point about Arnett is not doing the, uh, the Dennis Allen and still calling plays and trying to be involved in everything. He immediately is like, you know, I'm the head coach. I'm a steward of this program. I got to get all these guys figured out with all their plans and everything. I got to do that. So I'll, I'll give him like, you know, a big amount of respect for that. And, and to your point, it's like, you know, the, the aid stuff can come and go, but the defense, I think Mississippi state has been, Kind of their backbone, and I think this this um, this bowl game is like a really good example of that. Where it's like you know you got all these moving pieces. You got this, you said seven guys with a sack, seven different guys with a sack in that game. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. And and then like as a Mississippi State fan, it's like you're obviously in a really sad place, you know, from losing your coach and everything. But this guy, I think, is the real deal, man. Arnett, I think that this is not like the whole like oh we're gonna promote the interim for morale. It's like this is a guy no. who's gonna yeah. get a head coaching job soon. And like I said, it was like all about how long they could keep him because I think. I mean, it would have done nothing for him to go be the D.C. at Ohio State or something because he literally was, I feel like, getting ready for one of these jobs. So, And you can see that kind of the way he's conducted himself. You can see that, you know, we were joking, like, you know, we're not joking. We're just kind of talking about it's like I haven't really heard him interviewed and State didn't really let him, you know, talk a lot. And it's like, man, like when you finally hear him talk, it's like this is a guy that's really thoughtful. This is a guy that, you know, isn't like a football jockhead guy. It's like a guy who kind of thinks big picture. So I'm really as, as sad as the end was. I'm, I'm excited for the next chapter of Mississippi State Football.
0: Yeah, I, I think Mississippi State fans should feel pretty good about this and um, given the circumstances, because it could be so much worse. But mm-hmm. I, I've I, I've come away pretty impressed with Arnett and just watching him these three years. Now it's my first sort of in-person um, interaction with him. But I, I like how self-critical he was. I was mm-hmm. locked into him on the game winning field goal. I didn't even watch. I didn't watch the kick, which was like literally like right next to me. I didn't watch the fans. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to focus just entirely on him. And I noticed mm-hmm. he was pissed off. And I'm like, why is he, why is he pissed off? He's about to win his first game as a head coach, you know, this emotional game. Like he looks legitimately pissed off. And I asked him about it afterwards. And one of the things he said, was like, I, I messed up the timeout. I I should have had that play that wound it down to make sure that that was the last play of the game and so that we Mm -hmm. didn't have illinois attempting some last second you know hail mary you know not hail mary but you know what i mean razzle dazzle stanford band type play he's like i was pissed at myself during that and i I wasn't even able to to enjoy it and i saw him afterwards
1: and he was still pissed about it then too i love the gods like guys like that are completely unaffected by the outcome or the football gods it's like no i don't care that it worked it wasn't part of our game plan i don't care
3: yeah and
0: he's like leech would have ripped me for that for making a mistake Mm -hmm. like that he's like like that was a rookie mistake. So I think somebody that can be self-critical like that and having um, that that sort of self-awareness, I think it's going to be really important. But first time in a long time the Mississippi State is having a, a defensive-minded head coach. I mean, think mm-hmm. about that. Think about all the years with Mullen and obviously a certain Joe Moorhead who may or may not have gotten fired too soon. And then obviously Mike Leach, You know, it's Mm -hmm. been offensive mind, offensive mind, offensive mind. And this is, you know, this is going to be a little bit different. The transition, we'll see what the offense is going to look like moving on from Spurrier. Spurrier Jr. was calling plays in the bowl game, but he was, they're going in a different direction um, with their new play caller. So it'll, it'll be very interesting, but this transition, I think Mississippi state has the pieces in place to be able to, to make it work. So that was, I thought a positive development from Monday and a very emotional scene. It was in Tampa. Let's talk national championship, Will. In case nope. you forgot, there is a game on Monday night. Certain George Bulldogs certain TCU Horn Frogs. Yes, TCU playing in a national championship. It still doesn't quite feel real, even as somebody who remembers those Andy Dalton teams and thought, man, (laughs) TCU is just kind of that fun, frisky team. They sort of took the mantle from Boise State a little bit as like that likable group of five team that you can root for. And then they go, of course, to the Power Five Conference. And it's been a little bit of a tougher go for them. But to get back to this point is a great story. And I don't think that that should be forgotten, no matter how things play out on monday night i'm going to be kind of brief here because i don't want to repeat myself too much with uh, josh and shahan coming on because we're also going to bold and brash afterwards the over-under i have will three stetson bennett touchdowns total touchdowns that is so it could be passing and rushing because that's what he's averaging in playoff games in his career three touchdowns per game and i know everybody's sick of the stetson story i get it totally get it but if if you're a hater right now if you're still a hater I think that you just got to find something new Just find something else. There's, there's other stuff to hate on in this world. There's, there's so much other stuff. I just don't mm-hmm. think it's, it's really worth your time to continue hating on, on sets and Bennett. And there are a lot of people in Tennessee orange that want to continue to hate on sets and Bennett. And I look, I, I think your, your boy can still be great that we're still head dogs and we can still appreciate Stetson Bennett for what he's done. And, and Mm -hmm. and a lot of the great moments that he's provided in this sport over the course of the last two seasons, like even if Stetson come out, just comes out and lays an absolute egg. Like, let's say he sucks in this game. It's reminiscent of uh, 2020 Florida, right? A game Mm -hmm. in which he just looks overmatched and you're like, he can't stretch the field. He ends up having the shoulder deal in that game, but you get what I'm saying. Let's say he just looks really bad. For the Stetson haters, is that your victory lap? Like, <laughs> that's what's going to prove you right on this. I, I just don't really buy that. Like, a guy who was ridiculously good against AP top 25 competition, like the teams who actually finished in the AP top 25, he's been awesome against them the last two years. He's trying to become the fourth quarterback since 1980 to repeat as a national champ. Like, him not beating TCU wouldn't necessarily be some sign that he's a fraud. And if that's the hill
1: that you're dying on, just find another hill. Just there are other hills. Okay. Yeah. It's like, I'm not going to say like, you know, if you hate Stetson Bennett, you hate college football, but like, it's obviously pretty close to that because at the end of the day, it's like, you don't have, that's the thing about Stetson. It's like, I have some of my friends that are also big NFL guys. And it's like, dude, saying that he's a good quarterback in these situations does not mean he will be the next Peyton Manning. It's not that there are two kinds of quarterback. It's not that it's either you're Joe Burrow or you're, you know, bad. And it's like, there's, it's, this is a guy who is clearly a great college quarterback. And it's funny because he's kind of gone around on this little world tour around America, just proving everybody wrong. You know I'm saying? Did it with Bama, did it with Tennessee, did it with LSU. And it's like, and, and it's, I got that, you know, we talked about it in the SC championship game being like, oh yeah okay put the ball in Stetson's hands it's like oh there we go for so, you know 300 yards or like four tutties and like the exact same thing happened against Ohio State it's yeah. like okay and it's funny because at this point I, I'm i an I'm an appreciator and I was like oh there's no doubt he's about to go right down this field and win this game and that's exactly what he did you know what I'm saying like it was he scored too quickly that was the thing Stetson Bennett did wrong is he just sliced and diced Ohio State too easily with too much poise it was like uh oh, Stetson, you're doing it to him too hard, bro. You need to take a step back. That was the only criticism I had. I think he had a pick in that game too, but it's like you went back to back that and pitch. back with C.J. Stroud and like had as many touchdowns, had the game-winning drive, and honestly, like Stroud. If we're talking NFL quarterbacks, dude, and this is this sounds stupid or whatever. This is my opinion, though. He had a dude wide open in the flat on on third down that would not have picked up a first down, but it would have taken the field goal from a 50 yard field goal to a 40 yard field goal. And if he had simply hit that guy because he tried to throw it to him and couldn't get it there. And this is five yards of space on either side. And it's like, okay, so you got your NFL quarterback that apparently is so much better than, than Stetson. And in these moments. He can't hit the easiest pass of his career, and that's big part of the reason why they've lost. And it's like, bro, just appreciate the greatness that has been Stetson Bennett. It's fine. Again, to your point, oh, no, he only won one national championship and one SEC championship. What a fraud. Yeah,
0: I just don't think that's a I,
1: –
0: I, I just – I'm blown away that there are people in the middle of that Ohio State game who are just like trying to dunk on Stetson. I'm like, look, you, you can say that he hasn't played well, but – Man, there there are just so many people that are just holding on so tight to this take. Mm-hmm. It's like just just let go, let go. It's mm-hmm. it's it's okay. We we get proven wrong. Nobody's going to think any less. I actually think less of the people that hold on to those takes as opposed to the people who are willing to to do a 180 and say, you know what? All right, this guy has done everything we could have ever asked, and you know he did everything you could have asked him to do down the stretch against Ohio State. And I, I think the notion that he can't come back in games should be dead and. Of course, that's what TCU is known for. They are known for coming back in these games. And there have probably been a lot of times, I don't have a ton of connections to TCU-specific Twitter or people who hate on TCU, but I bet Mm -hmm. there have been a ton of times this year in which people have just been trying to bury them in the middle of of these games. Oh, this this fraudulent team, oh, they're finally going to fall apart. And I get it, like, Seven one score games. Obviously, they had the streak with seven consecutive games decided by 10 points or less. First team to do that since 1975. Shout out to the Gerald Ford administration. I mean, they were trailing or tied in the fourth quarter five times this year. And that doesn't even include games they were ahead by like three in the fourth quarter, right? Just trailing or tied in the fourth quarter. Usually, teams that make a national championship don't play with fire the way that TCU has, but to their credit, they've found a way each and every week to be able to prevail, with the exception of obviously the Big 12 championship against Kansas State defensively, you know who they weren't trailing or tied against. Hawk huh, Connor, the Michigan um, Wolverine. You know that's a good point. That's a great point because games like that are—they're not even part of that—that that stat. The, right. the the five times in the fourth quarter of of tied or trailing. That's that's kind of the amazing thing. And that was the ultimate water's going to find its level. TCU gets out to a, a big lead early. What do I do with my hands? And then, of mm-hmm. course, Michigan comes back and makes it a competitive game. But that's just who this team has been. And defensively, I don't think we should assume that Georgia, the same Georgia team who dominated Tennessee is going to be on full display against TCU, a TCU offense that's plenty explosive. And if you disagree with that, tell me why eight of Georgia's 15 passing touchdowns allowed this year came in the last two games, right? They have shown some vulnerability in these spots. They absolutely have. Quentin Johnston is a really, really similar player to Marvin Harrison Jr., He is. And we'll talk about that in both of our interviews, but like the the usage with him, I even did the breakdown of percentage of snaps played out wide percentage of snaps played in the slot. It is nearly identical with what those two guys do and the way that obviously their teams like to be able to use them different schemes, slightly, of course, but they're still really similar. And we just watched what happened with Marvin Harrison Jr. against Georgia. I think I think Johnson has a big day. I do, and honestly, I think TCU's offense has plenty of big moments. I I, I think if you're hoping this is going to be some like twenty-eight to seven Georgia win, I, I I think that's a bit ambitious. Let's remember, the loser in the college football playoff national championship has averaged twenty-five points a game. Okay, Mm -hmm. the loser has averaged that much. So if Georgia does that, it'd be darn impressive. And I would sing their praises and this would be Tennessee all over again. It surely would. But I don't think it's realistic. Because in consecutive games in which there was a four week layoff and Kirby was determined to make those adjustments, and he talked about it in the post game after Ohio State. We played man, we played zone. Things just weren't really working for us. And they played a lot more bend but don't break than the imposed their will style that we've seen so often from them. But mm-hmm. in consecutive games, like Kirby just kind of lacked those answers. And, you know, I think Max Duggan is more mobile than CJ Stroud, or at least he's more willing to use his legs. That is not deniable. I mean, CJ Stroud, like he is this weird case of a guy who when he starts to run, he looks like he wants to do anything but that, but against Georgia, he was great. And he Mm -hmm. was more than willing to do that. But with Duggan, it's, it's going to feel different. The offensive line for TCU has been really good. TCU has only let up two sacks total in the last four games and I think that he's going to be a really difficult guy to contain. But having said all that and having been definitely somebody who I think has been more of a TCU appreciator as the season has progressed. And I have found myself saying the selection committee needs to value their resume and and what, the, what they have done in, in a power five conference with a nine game conference schedule is really, really impressive. As much as I believe all of these things and believe Sonny Dykes deserves, deserves so much credit I can't pick against Georgia. I can't. Mm-hmm. I, this year's team isn't as good as last year's. I don't I don't think even if they win this game, that'll be the case, despite the fact that they would have the un, undefeated record, obviously. And to go 15-0 mm-hmm. is an unbelievable feat. But I think what this year's Georgia team has shown is that they can beat you in more ways. They, they really can. Remember the stat that I brought up before the Tennessee game. Remember this stat, Will. Georgia had rarely played in shootouts. They hadn't played in a game in which both teams scored more than 30 points since the Rose Bowl, of course. That was the last time. And you think about the way that football is played in this era. And that's that's 5 years going between games in which teams scored 30 points, both teams scoring 30 points. Or the SEC championship. The record, okay? Under Kirby Smart, Georgia was one and nine in games when it allowed 30 points, and 73 and six when it held a team to less than 30 points. What's Georgia done in each of
1: the last two games, Will? Allowed 30 points. (laughs) But those points, yeah, dude. That's that makes a lot of sense, like based on the eye test. And it's so funny, man, because like going all the way back to the Stetson point, it's like you know, the Stetsonators are truly the exact opposite of what they were saying. It's like, oh, this is this quarterback who sucks and he's getting carried by this defense. It's like, no, no, no. This defense actually quietly has just become porous as heck in these last two games. And Stetson is just leading this team to greatness yeah. despite that. Because at the end of the day, bro, like... Like I said, he scored too quickly because when Ohio State got the ball back, I was like, oh, Ohio State's going to score here. Like, there's just no question. And the fact that they got stopped when they did, I'm not even really going to call that clutch play by Georgia to hold them up. Because in reality, like I said, the dude was open and they could have just hit a 40-yard field goal. But The guys, run play the exact- was clutch.
0: The run play – get, getting the stuff on on the run play before mm-hmm. that was clutch. But I, but I agree. I mean, it wasn't like they had this, like, unbelievable defensive stand in which, you know, like the TCU-Michigan game – like Michigan still had to go the entire length of the field. Same as you want about the targeting non-call at the end of mm-hmm. that game, but like Michigan still had a long ways to go. And TCU got that defensive stand where it wasn't really close, whereas Ohio State, it was obviously a much different feel with Georgia's defensive stand
1: right 100 percent, and that's the thing it's like that's kind of the direction that georgia has changed in is that their defense objectively you know what i'm saying is as it, it took a step back from last year and we were kind of wondering when we would actually see that because we didn't see it against tennessee like but it's just it's fine to lose to kobe dean and jordan davis and like the number one pick and lose all of those guys and get a little bit worse and like finally we're starting to see it and it's like well now and bennett's you know got two houses with mortgages and four kids and his whole time in college has been is now helping you it's like he's this veteran guy who knows when to take the five yard check down when to lead his offense down the field and he's not there just pressing the way that jake Fromm used to it's like no no like this is what you want in an old veteran quarterback is to understand what his defense is giving him
0: do you remember when it seemed like george's only explosive passing plays was a back shoulder fade do yep. you remember that It wasn't that long ago. It really Mm -hmm. wasn't because it was, it was the Jake from offense. And that's, that's what they used to hang their hat on. I I Mm -hmm. think Todd, I I think, I truly think that Todd is one of the most underrated hires of probably the last five years in college football and what he did to overhaul that offense. Like I, I guess that's in his credit, but some of the looks and the the ways in which they can get guys open, it, it's just so different now compared to what it used to be. And that's such a great feeling when you can actually see your team evolve and take that next step, that coveted next step, because we saw for so long how limited it felt like that passing game was, and it didn't feel like it should be so limited And this group, I I think, has bucked that trend, and that's why they've been able to come out and win these games that are shootouts and do something that, in my opinion, the previous version of Georgia couldn't do, and maybe even – and look, don't kill me for saying this. I'm not entirely sure the 2021 Georgia team wins that Ohio State game.
1: Is that a take? Um yeah, I mean, that's exactly the kind of games that they were struggling. That's what the Bama game was, where a quarterback was just like, hey, I'm about to sling it, you know what I'm saying? And their their defense was obviously better, you know what I'm saying? But I think that, I think that like I said, their offense has made up for it. And, you know, the funny thing is, talking about Munkin, this is a point that I think gets underappreciated with him is that, you know, I'm not gonna do the boohoo Georgia's talent thing for sure. Do not think this is boohoo Georgia's talent. The receivers just aren't good this year. It's just it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? They have Lad McConkey, who's fine, but again, his name was Lad McConkey. He's fine. You know, like he's had he had the Kent State game, which was rough, but overall he's been a fine player. But we've seen, you know, Alabama not have good receivers, and suddenly you can't get you can't get the ball out of Bryce Young's hands. It just doesn't work. And it's like, hey, part of being an offensive coordinator, not a recruiter, is saying here are the dudes that we have here, are the Jimmys and Joes that we have, how can I execute and this is a masterclass in you have good tight ends and not much else and Stetson Bennett like if you think about how the outcomes could be for this offense with the personnel that they have that's the thing it's like to your point they're getting these explosive plays and it's not just like you know these great receiver good receivers that they had um why can't I think of old boys' name that's from Hoover that's now in the Steelers? George Pickens. Yeah. Of course, George Pickens was like a physical freak. Every time he was on the field, he was not out of the lineup. So their offense was inconsistent. Now it's like, dog, we don't care who you are. We're gonna get you open in the middle of the field. Someone's gonna be falling down, trying to catch you. You're gonna gain 20 more yards because two guys to bring you down. And that's our and it's it's not we gotta run, you know, tr- we gotta run these certain concepts because that's what football is. It's like we're getting into the end zone, dog. Go ahead and try to stop us if you think yeah. it's easy. I did a pregame
0: video with Marler ahead of the, the peach bowl. And one of the things he said, who's the X factor for Georgia. I said, "Ad Mitchell, Ad Mitchell ends up getting the game winning touchdown. He's finally healthy. His, he played like 49 snaps or something like that in that game. And having him back is immensely important for the way that Georgia wants to operate because of the size that he kind of brings and what he's able to do at six, four or whatever he is and how clutch he's been in these moments. I mean, to, to have two moments like that in your career, you know, game winning touchdowns like that and playoff games like that's that stuff. That's very, very rare uh, to, to be able to have that. And obviously what he what he has done to be able to kind of work his way back into the lineup, I think is really important. I think it'll be really important for Georgia on Monday night to try and be able to to test this TCU secondary, which has been lights out this year. And mm-hmm. I think that that's something that, that Georgia can can try and do in different ways. And we've seen in years past and having that personnel in place and having the right coordinator, certainly a big part of that. I think this ends up being a shootout. Well, I do. (laughs) I'm going to say that we get a thriller. Um, That's part partially me wanting to just be entertained and hoping that this isn't a national championship. That's similar to 2018, 2019 is like, that was entertaining. To see LSU's dominance in that way, 2018 with Clemson wasn't quite as entertaining because oh, that national
1: championship was entertaining. Let me stop you there. <laughs> <laughs> so many people, so, so many people had a good day that day, but me among them. <laughs> For those who say I just hate on Bama, let the
0: record show that I just said Bama getting its teeth kicked in in the national championship at the end of the 2018 season was actually not an entertaining football game. Uh, I Listen, hope we if get you that. say I hate on Bama. You're
1: right. Next question.
0: Oh. <laughs> I think Georgia wins 41 to 35 and it's a late defensive stand by sacking Max Duggan. So CCU covers uh minus 13 minus 13 and a half, whatever the spread was last I checked. But I think I still think that Georgia wins this football game. Well, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think these are actually believe it or not two decently similar teams. I think one is the, I mean, it's it's like we talked about the outer limits of what you can do as a first year head coach, and Sonny Dykes is completely re- rewriting that you know book. And you know, it's with existing players, not as many transfers. I feel on that team, there's a couple of guys, and obviously there are a lot more coming his way. I'm um, talking about some of these like SEC receivers that are head there, but yeah. Point being, like they are like i'm not saying that they're like a discount version or anything it's just the fact like i always talk about with guys in the system but it's one of those things where if georgia was in well when we have seen georgia in close games they've looked a lot like dcu it's like we don't exactly know how we're gonna do this we just know we're gonna do it and whereas on the georgia end you have this great dominant defense that you know 10, nine games a year that you're never gonna see that switch for them um, which is obviously what you want to do in building a team Is not play close games, just don't play close games Like yeah. that goes to the 2019 LSU point It's like, hey, I had lots of fun as an LSU Fan, lots of people did, it was very Not stressful, because they were I just knew Joe Burrow was that guy, but sometimes I mean, every time, but that team, there's Always going to be struggles, you know what I'm saying, so it's how You it's how you respond to that, but luckily, you know Stetson is kind of the the, the Eight mile story, he's the, the dude That came out of nowhere, it was just like, hey, I'm the star Now, like, whatever, and so that's the, ber- the Best person to be leading that team, so point B you know, when you see these guys, TCU, you know, has big lines. Like that's one thing I noticed in that game. TCU is a big physical team. Um, And, and I think this is going to be a very back and forth game based on what these guys like to see is very similar. It's getting the offense where it can be found, wherever that may be the best matchup. Um, talking about their receiver and AJ, AD Mitchell as well. I think those are great matchups, but fundamentally, you know, you got two quarterbacks that are willing to make a play with their legs, make a three yard play into a four yard play to get a first down. And I, this is what college football is about, man. Like these two type of teams. I, I really do hope that like, We're kind of looking at a lot more matchups. I mean, TCU... Uh, this this is the type of Cinderella story that we thought was impossible in college football so it's it's really cool to watch teams that you know if you have a bad opinion of TCU like who are you bro like why are you angry like I was a person who didn't feel like they belonged I'll say a hand up they obviously do and that was also to try to get Tennessee in or maybe at the time a USC or an LSU because I'm an agenda pusher but all those teams lost, (laughs) and so like I was wrong that's fine you know we both thought they might drop again they lost (laughs) one of Kansas State but ended up not mattering so like point being you know this is what college football is about it's some kids that you know this will be their last time on the field to and they're going to leave it all out there. And that's why I think it's the best sport, honestly.
0: It's a great story. It's been a been a fun road. I can't imagine what it's been like to be a TCU fan this year. And mm-hmm. they don't make them like this. I would love to know. We talked about this before. The I've arrived at heaven. I want to see the stats. And by <laughs> stats, I mean <laughs> the, the moments in which you had years taken off your life, days taken off your life. This TCU team probably had a few of those. The mm-hmm. fire drill field goal against Baylor. I can't imagine that was just a a you know a few hours here or there taken off your life. That's we're talking weeks, we're talking months that was taken off your life. If you're a TCU fan, there's no denying that. I mean, Michigan probably the same sort of thing. They've had a lot of those moments this year. And you know what? They've been able to still get to this point. And there's a certain feeling that TCU has already done what what nobody thought they could do and maybe just maybe tcu ends up playing like the team that has nothing to lose and georgia ends Mm -hmm. up playing like the team that's got all the pressure on it of course the last time a national championship spread was this wide miami ohio state the 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 pass interference that that wasn't that was ultimately And Ohio State ends up winning that football game as the significant underdog. So who knows if we're about to get a really similar type of game. If we get a game just as thrilling as that, that will take, again, the stats will show that will take years off the life of Georgia fans, off TCU fans. But Mm -hmm. for yours truly, I will be smiling ear to ear on Monday night going into Tuesday because inevitably this game's ending at way after midnight. And that would be great for college football. It would be truly great for the sport if we mm-hmm. got something like that. It felt like that after the last BCS championship when Auburn and Florida State played this great unbelievable game that was down to the wire and you had all these different storylines like going back and forth to usher in, you know, the, the 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 playoff era and it feels like we could get something
1: similar in this game as we talk about expanding to 12 and doing all those things. yeah totally agree with all that you know this is this is what we live for i want to take one second because i haven't done it yet and just make fun of michigan how about michigan for the last two years finally beating ohio state for the first time other than like the sanctions year in like 15 years beat them twice in a row and after each of those seasons immediately harpo nfl rumors i can't imagine selling that type of hopium to people all year being like we never left we're blue blood we're back and then boom season ends and it's like five NFL coaching vacancies and Harbaugh's been calling all of them since the clock hit zero. If if but Harbaugh anyway. leaves, if Harbaugh
0: leaves, which we don't know as of this recording, I was trying to choose my words carefully. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about something that's obviously really time sensitive. If Harbaugh leaves, what a loser, man, what a loser. And I've defended Harbaugh so much, but if you, if you actually end up leaving after all of this, mm-hmm. that to me, like, my impression of him would go into the toilet and I've defended him at some key points when I thought Michigan fans were a bit, a a bit too impatient with him. And even some of the 2020 stuff, I got it. And I'm sometimes I think that you do need a change and you do need to just move on. Even if a certain coach has accomplished X, Y, and Z, but if he leaves like, come on, come on to do your alma mater like that when you had this entire thing last year, a very public thing. You weren't even at Michigan's campus on signing day because you were interviewing with the Vikings. And mm-hmm. then you come back like Michael Scott after you didn't get the job at corporate. And then you end up saying, I'm not going anywhere. And then to leave a year later, uh, Harbaugh would would deservedly take some L's if that did happen. That w- and look, some of this stuff gets thrown out there as conjecture. Agents like to be able to throw this stuff out there. So like I, I understand kind of all this. Even You know, rival agents will throw this out there. They'll feed Mm -hmm. something like that, a scoop like that. But if he goes, man, what a kick in the teeth. This this actually this this like Ohio State victory, this entire thing for Michigan has really tested the Ohio State is our Super Bowl.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: If Ohio State's really your Super Bowl then the playoff is just gravy these last couple of years, right? The Big Ten Championship, that's just gravy. If it's just all about beating Ohio State and beating your rival, and this rivalry really is the best in all of sports, like you always talk about, and it's your Super Bowl, and that means more than everything, then you have nothing to be disappointed with, right? Mm -hmm. So what if TCU beats you? So what if if Michigan couldn't stay on the field with Georgia? You won your Super Bowl. You're good, right?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole, like, you know, people do what works for them things, right? When you can't beat Ohio State, then it's like the biggest deal in the world. But then suddenly when you do it, you lose the next game. It's like, oh, all the matters of Ohio State. But yeah, like... No, I, I'm with you, man. And it's it's kind of like the lame thing to a degree, where it's like, hey, sometimes there are rumors, but if you're doing this all the time, and obviously the lane stuff goes to bed for a while now, I get it. But it's like if you're if you get out, and there's rumors, you lose Gaddis, and it's like, oh my gosh, we're like this program is imploding. You somehow patch up all those holes, get even better the following year, and then do the same thing again. It's like, yeah, like dude, that's a good point. Me and you, one of the first things we connected over was like being like Jim Harbell's actually a pretty good coach. I don't know, this is like you know 2016, 2017. It's like I don't know why everybody thinks he sucks, and then he does, you know what the defenders hoped or thought he could do. And he's immediately like, no, I suck, actually. It's like, no further questions, bro. All right, my bad.
0: I just don't get that. I just don't, like, I understood it. I understood it more so last year than this year, though, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. Like, last year, I understood it a little bit because it was like, oh you saw what it took to win a national championship against Georgia. And you realized how far away you were from that. That was a theme that we saw with coaches, with Brian Kelly, with Lincoln Riley of realizing how far away you still are, even though you've won all of these games and then having this realization. And the thing with Jim Harbaugh was he just wants to win a championship and he feels like he has a better chance of doing that in the NFL than he does at college, seeing the landscape of the sport and where it's heading, but to do it after this year, After the year that you had to go undefeated in the Big Ten, to take Ohio State to the woodshed yet again, and then to get in that spot where you're an eight-point favorite in a semifinal game that you lose because of your own decision-making in that game, and then just be like, nah, peace, I'm out. That would suck, man. That would absolutely suck. And if Michigan fans kind of turned on him – I actually would be more in favor of that as grateful as they probably are that he provided their best moments of the 21st century. I still think that that would just be such a bad way to go out. And Jim Harbaugh has just become the ultimate bad exit guy Mm -hmm. in this, like in football that, I mean, that's what he's
1: been really. I mean, like, Urban Meyer, number one, but just like in every other thing. Oh, yeah, good point.
0: Good point. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they Harbaugh's can't even two. poorly they exit two. the way Ohio
1: State can. Wow.
0: <laughs> there you go, Harbaugh. You're not first in the most dubious category there is among college football coaches right now. Um, okay. Before we kick it to Josh and Shahan, a quick word from our friends at underdog. As we talk about sports betting, not legal in states like Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, most of the SEC states gambling is still not legal sports betting, not a thing that you can sit there and do, but good news for you because underdog Fantasy is a new daily fantasy platform in which this is legal across all these different states. It's a great way to get in on some of these college football contests. You can compete for real money. Great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement right now with Underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com Underdog, you can automatically double your first deposit when you join. Just sign up, throw in 50 bucks. They'll throw in 50 more dollars. Great way to get involved in these contests. So, Like we talk about for college football, maybe you want to get a little bit of action on Monday night you're thinking to yourself I don't have a dog in this fight I love to be able to get you know maybe maybe you're not one of one to want to bet on like props or something like that but you'd rather just bet on statistical props you think Max Duggan is going to have a huge day against this Georgia defense you're looking at you're going maybe hey 250 yards from Max Duggan I'll take the over on that that's as easy as it is. It's just like the over-unders that we talk about with each of our preview pods. You can put real money on the line. And like I said, legal, live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, et cetera. So I got some NFL picks for week 18. We're going back to the Traylon Well, Traylon Burks over 37 and a half receiving yards. Back from the injury, you know that I'm the biggest Traylon Burks stand that there is outside of the state of Arkansas. He's going to have himself a big day. And then another guy that I find myself going to bat for OG listeners of the Saturday Down South podcast, heard me say some nice things about this guy back in the day, Christian Kirk. Love me some Christian Kirk over 53 and a half receiving yards. Jack's going to be in the playoffs playoffs. Go figure. Yeah. He's turned into Quite the fine player for Trevor Lawrence. So yeah, we'll go over 53 and a half receiving yards there. Underdog is awesome. Super fun to do while you're watching college football or any other sport in your living room. You can win some real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. Take advantage of our promo where underdog will double They will double your first deposit up to a hundred dollars, hundred dollars. Absolutely free SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. All right, let's kick it to Josh. Then Sean. Not excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is my guy, Josh Pate. So I realized last year, had you on to preview of the national championship, and then we got a really thrilling game wherein you did say that Alabama was going to win. Um, I might remember that, might have held you to that a little bit too long, but I'm trying to just will that into existence this year as well and i think that if we get a really close down to the wire game because let's be honest this is a two touchdown spread vegas doesn't think this is going to be particularly close i think we need to come up with a new name for it that's in the same vein as tess effect or loss of gut laws of gus so i'm going to put you on the spot here what's a what's a josh payton name for just willing a close game into existence
3: Oh well, it's finding our way to where we want to be, right? Like that's essentially what you're saying we're trying to do here. Yeah. Okay. Well, in that case, we would call that navigation.
2: Okay. Explain. Yeah,
3: and and that's um, well, that's it. I mean, instead of navigating, I'm just inserting my last name into that word, and we are going to get where we want to go via navigating instead of navigating. You put me on the spot. Okay, that's the <laughs> best material I could come up with on the spot.
0: That's actually pretty good. I was thinking to myself, Nava Pate. Okay, I get it. Pate Pate is the last name. How many times over under like twelve a day do you come up with things that that rhyme with Pate? Because that list is is pretty long. And the the Pate State thing, like when you figured that out, this aha moment for you had to just be sitting there.
3: Yes. So the Pate State thing is a. I don't know how many zeros are on the end of that idea. It's been worth a lot for me. And it's also, it's really fun to like create a fictitious university that you just, you get to, because think about that. You get to make up your own logo. You get to make up your own slogans and fight song. And there are so many things we haven't even done yet with that, that we can do. Uh, But that's been fun. As for the first question, how many times a day? I don't want to put a number on it. Uh, And here's the problem. Some of them are inappropriate. Yeah. And you don't really have to dive too far down the rabbit hole to start thinking about words that rhyme with my last name to realize, ooh, yeah, that can go sideways really quickly. So it's best for the children riding with dad in the car right now that I just stop talking. We can say hate. Don't worry about that. We can say Yeah, hate. you can say hate. You can do that, but there are just some other things we we really need to <laughs> not delve into. All
0: right, let's let's talk national championship. It's pretty amazing to think about how much the conversation has changed with Kirby in the last 13 months. Because before last year's Orange Bowl, there was legitimate debate. All right. Is is he ever going to get over the hump? Is he going to be in this Lincoln Riley camp? And now when I was ranking 21st century coaches and I put him slightly behind Dabo, which, you know, we're not projecting here. We're just looking at current context. I've got people in my mentions call me crazy for saying, how could you possibly put him behind Dabo? Even though it's like Dabo went to six playoffs. He went to four national championships. He won two of them. Handed Saban his biggest blowout ever. Like people forget these things. I'm not asking you to project here and now, but would you rank Kirby ahead of Dabo just among 21st
3: century coaches? No, no. If we're talking about resume and basically trophy case, if we're looking backwards, no. That's pretty common sense. Now, if we're looking forward, I'd put him above Dabo in a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, because, and look, I'd also put Ryan Day above Dabo. And that's really where I get some flack. And I've said that for two years now. It's not disrespecting Dabo. I just happen to think highly of Ryan Day. And what's interesting, as you mentioned, Ryan Day is in present day what Kirby was like 13 or 14 months ago. Ryan Day is now, and I'm not, these are not my thoughts, trust me, but the thoughts of many are. Ryan Day's now the guy who can't win the big one, the guy who squanders talent. It doesn't matter how well he recruits if he can't get over the hump. And it's, it just goes to illustrate again, a point I try and make as frequently as I can. There is such a big difference in cannot versus have not. And there's a lot that has not happened that people think cannot happen. Uh, Kirby has not won the big one. That's how they should have said it this time last year. It wasn't that he cannot. It wasn't that he can't beat Nick Saban. He just hasn't beaten him. Well, now he has. And now there's a lot of hypocrisy. I'm not putting this label on your forehead, sir, but I'm saying there's a lot of hypocrisy out there in the community now, if you'll notice, that has taken such a radical pendulum swing towards trying to bite someone's head off if they ever criticize Kirby Smart. And that's the same crowd that was leading the parade, that was singing in unison the chorus of. Kirby can't get it done. Kirby's overrated like 13 months ago. So with all due respect, earmuffs, kids, shut up. (laughs) Anyone who tries to tell me that.
0: Has Kirby forgiven you yet for sleeping through the interview that you had with him at SEC Media Days?
3: It's forgiven, but it's not (laughs) forgotten. It's certainly, it's always in the room. Anytime we speak, anytime he's around me, it's kind of like, I mean, I would imagine, like if there is infidelity in your relationship, and you have a heart to heart with your partner and all is forgiven. I don't think either one of you are under the illusion that it's forgotten. And so anytime there's a fight two months down the road and that person who you wronged looks at you in a certain way, you know what that look means. And that look means, do you have any idea what you put me through? You seriously think you're about to get mad because I'm seven minutes late to a dinner. There's no way I'm about to listen to this. And that same look, can be given by a coach when you have him show up to SEC media days an hour ahead of schedule to do an interview with you and you are still in bed when he gets there. Believe it or not, that can happen. What's the least paid state thing you've ever done, I think? I think think academic expulsion or at the very least probation is what I would be on at that point. Oh,
0: man, tough look. But I, I imagine you have bounced back and you said, all right, we're not sleeping through any more interviews. We're going to we're going to make sure that we're there. We're in the places that we need to be. Um, you, You've done something. You, you've probably gotten forgiveness from Kirby, like you said. I, I think you've also gotten forgiveness from the the pro Stetson crowd, which, again, like we talk about, with Kirby, these things change. On a dime with so many people, and so many people that were saying he shouldn't be the starter, JT Daniels should be the guy are now like, why isn't he getting more respect? Blah, blah, blah. You admitted you were wrong about Stetson, and I, I've admitted that to a certain extent as well. But can, can you explain, like, what exactly you were most wrong about? With him, Because to, to come into the year and still have a bit of skepticism about what it was going to look like without the best defense that we've seen in the 21st century, I think was fair. But I think any sort of debate about who Stetson is as a player should pretty much be out the window at this point.
3: Yeah, and I didn't doubt him any this year. I mean, I, he already won me over before this year. So I was never in the camp that said, well, let's see how he fares after all this talent's gone to the draft. I was already sold on but before last season, and, and even getting into last season when Georgia started to get ready to try and make a run, I was I was simply of the opinion they are able to hide him because they're so good. And when you get to a certain level towards the postseason in this sport, or when you're when you're down the road eventually, and you're going to face Alabama in the SEC title game, eventually you can't hide your quarterback. Quarterback's got to win a game for you. And we did see them lose to Alabama in the SEC title game, but I, I had just watched how college football had evolved, and it, it it had evolved so radically. We were out of the Jake Coker era and AJ McCarron era. Respectfully, we were into the Tua, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow era, Mac Jones. We were into the era for several years running that had elite quarterback play as a prerequisite to try and win a title there were elite quarterbacks losing titles to other elite quarterbacks and so you're throwing stats and Bennett at me and just my conventional common sense and wisdom based off history said that guy's not fitting the mold that we think it takes to win a title well they just created a new mold or maybe they reverted to an old mold and it surprised me that they were able to do it but they were able to do it and the thing about it is they didn't have to hide it when they got in the fourth quarter of that game last year It was no different than what we just saw a week ago in Atlanta. He actually stepped up and took a game for Georgia against Alabama then, against Ohio State now. So he's not a guy that you have to hide. And I just flat out never thought he would evolve into that player. Um, I think that in most situations, a guy like him never would have gotten the opportunity. I think a guy like him, even if he got the opportunity, wouldn't have been given the length of time because another guy would have just elevated above him. Uh, but it goes to show you if you stick with a guy and he has the right mental makeup and has a minimum baseline skill set, special things can happen. And that also makes me wonder how many quarterbacks that technically were capable of this over the last 20 years were given up on before they ever had a shot to get to this point.
0: It's a fair question. Uh, moral of the story just let your quarterback age until he's 25 put him in some of those spots see how it goes but the mental makeup thing is is the part that yeah it's it's well documented the entire story you can tell like Kirby kind of rolls his eyes sometimes because it's been beaten to death so much even if you listen to the teleconference the amount of questions about Stetson and your journey and blah, blah blah it's like all right we we know like we get it at this point but it's still amazing and it is still amazing to think that he has sort of bucked all the trends everything that we know about what it takes to make a national championship in this day and age and he has been able to do that and you know, Aaron Murray caught some flack in the middle of the SEC championship when he said Stetson is George's GOAT quarterback. And, uh, like, there's really no discussion at all, in my opinion, anymore. And, like, if you want to do cumulative numbers to say that Aaron's better, I mean, Aaron's giving you proof as to why Stetson has, has been able to, to rise. And it's because of those levels in those moments. Would, would you have any sort of resistance with that argument, the, the Stetson is George's GOAT quarterback?
3: No, no. Uh, you can go a step further. Especially if the guy wins this title, if I tell you that he's the greatest Georgia football player of all time and you push back on me, well, you're pushing back on me, obviously, by saying there have been more talented players. That has to be the pushback, because if we're talking about the most decorated player, the most accomplished player, you're looking at a quarterback of back-to-back title teams in a place where prior to this, they hadn't won one in our lifetime like there's there's no argument to me there have been plenty more talented players so if you want to talk about nfl draft prospects and all that okay but i i know it just it's such a shock to the senses because we're still sort of new in this whole we're taking Stetson and bennett serious thing but very quickly we are bordering we're on the precipice of that conversation of Stetson and bennett greatest georgia football player of all time and i know how unpalatable that seems because i'm struggling saying it but i believe it i mean what's the pushback on that
0: the late kick video the 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 two minute video this i'm I'm closing my eyes i can see it right now after stetson has like 400 yards in the national championship three four touchdowns something like that the the video and that your tweet will read stetson bennett is the greatest football player in georgia history i can see it now like i and You make fair points, Uh, and I'm uh, and you could, if you really want to get into the weeds and say Herschel, Herschel was going against eight man fronts, he still won a national championship, all these different things. There is certainly a case to be made for it, as crazy as that possibly sounds, given the talent that's gone through those doors. But it's becoming tougher to argue against it, you know. The Eric Ainge stuff and the way that that's come out this week, if you're arguing against Stetson at this point you're you're doing so and getting dunked on immediately. And that's that's the biggest difference between this year and last year is that I think even after the you know the Heisman and him getting an invite and, and all the pushback with that, I think there are still people who just admittedly don't want to give him credit. And it's so weird because if he was going to be a first round or a second round pick, we'd want to give him credit but for whatever reason we just still don't.
3: No, you're right. So there there are two camps here. If you're denying that guy's accomplishments and ability you're in one of two camps. You're either in the camp that just refuses to acknowledge a quarterback if he is not a future first or second round draft pick. And I'm not of that opinion because I live in the world of college football. So once you leave college football, I'm kind of, you're out of my sight. I'm kind of done with you because I love you for what you do here. And I judge college football in a vacuum. So what you accomplish on the college football field makes you a great college football player or not. Um, But if you don't feel that way, that could be why you knock him. The other one is just the principle of ignorance of I took a stand against this guy last year and yep. I don't ever want to admit I'm wrong. But see, here's what I would say to those people. Chances are you do not have an audience in the millions per week. I do to pat myself on the back there. I'm, I'm wow. not I'm not trying what to be pretentious. What I'm saying is what I'm saying is if I was able to step up and say, hey, I whiffed on this guy, I was wrong. I should be way more embarrassed than anyone. So if I can do it, everyone can do it.
0: I'm going to give you credit here because it took you six months, but you got there. You finally got the comeback for me saying that Brian Harson's podcast was rated higher than yours.
3: You know what? Yeah, I don't want to dunk on Brian Harson. Okay, that's not <laughs> what I showed up to do. But but I would be lying if I said that. I had forgotten all about that. Oh, I haven't forgotten about it. You know, I, if, <laughs> if if I ever needed bulletin board material, I didn't know it would include Brian Harson having a podcast, but it did. And um, we see how that turned out.
0: You forgive. You don't forget, just like with Kirby. Exactly. <laughs> same, same exact thing.
3: Uh, George's defense,
0: two consecutive, I-, I think, poor performances, all things considered. Should we be concerned with what we've seen the last two games and knowing what TCU can do?
3: No. Well, concerned. Yeah. I mean, you should respect your opponent, but it, I think it was only a shock because Georgia, all right, let me, let me back up. Sometimes I stop sentences and start other sentences. And when I listen back to it, it's aggravating. So I'm not telling you edit it. What I'm saying is forget everything I just said, folks, here's how I want to start this answer over again. I think a lot of times in college football, unlike the NFL, you have cracks. Everyone has cracks and vulnerabilities. But in college football, sometimes it takes a long time to face the right team that's equipped to put pressure against those cracks. So sometimes you can get week six, week nine, championship weekend into the season, and you look invincible somewhere, but you're not. You just haven't been exposed. In the NFL, you don't have to worry about that. You face pro teams every week, you're gonna be exposed really quickly. Well, Georgia's secondary has been vulnerable all year. It's just that they looked invincible Because they faced a very weak slate of quarterbacks. And when they did face Tennessee, I don't think the route running of Tennessee particularly matched up well against Georgia at all. I think Ohio State's did a lot more complex passing game from Ohio State and a quarterback that played better on that day. Also, not not exactly um, the same environment playing in Atlanta as playing in Sanford Stadium. So we saw that the other night. Now, I can tell you texting back and forth with some coaches, they weren't surprised by it. I think maybe some fans were surprised by it. That's just the way it is. You should be proud Georgia overcame it. You took a fastball and you fought it off and you eventually, you were able to overcome it. Well, in the title game, you, you've still got to do what Ohio State did. Like you've got to do with Clinton Johnson what they did with Marvin Harrison. Yep, that That is a tall task. And what I will say is I'm interested if it takes 45 if it takes scoring in the mid-40s for TCU, or if they're able to figure out a way to do against Georgia what they did against Michigan, if they if they figure out a way to force some non-offensive points and force some turnovers, which Georgia's prone to do. They've been very prone to it this year. That's how you flip that game. It's not a track meet. It's not trading points shot for shot. It's it's stealing a possession per half. It's winning the turnover battle, and it is scoring non-offensive points. And then if you can do that with Coupling uh, big time games from Quentin Johnson and Max Duggan, that's how you pull that upset.
0: The Quentin Johnson Marvin Harrison comp, I, I think, is there. Even though obviously they play in in different schemes, and if your argument is, well, they they have less depth at receiver. That's fair. I still watch Marvin Harrison get whatever he wanted when he was upright in that game. It looked like in the one drop that he had, which was pretty significant, I thought, in that second quarter, second drop of the year is a play where he probably could have added another 20, 30 yards to his day. And I kind of wonder if you're if you're Georgia from a game planning standpoint, do you play that press man? Do you play it on the outside? Or do you let him operate with space underneath? Because the biggest play that Quentin, jo- Quentin Johnson had in that game was that little underneath play against Michigan. He does that little start and stop thing and boom, he's gone just like that. Do you think that Ohio State exposed what Georgia has been vulnerable to, to, you know, to allowing? And is this, or should we just ex- assume that Quentin Johnson is going to get his, I guess is my, my, my way of asking that, because I didn't see anything to suggest that Ohio state was going to be stopped with Harrison in that game from Georgia.
3: Yeah. I think he's going to get his now yards after catch is what you can't be letting him get. Um, I don't think Georgia has a player that can match up one-on-one with him. I don't think they have that kind of corner this year. Uh, what they do have in the aggregate is they've got a defense that's good enough, should they choose to game plan and roll coverage towards Quentin Johnson, that can hold their own. Now, we say that assuming George is going to score themselves. So if it's a game where you've got to hold TCU under 20, well, that's a different chore. But if I assume George is going to score, you just have to be opportunistic. You have to do kind of what you did against Tennessee. Bring your pass rush, but also play shell coverage and make them put together nine or ten play drives if they're going to score against you. And they will, but you're just going to roll the dice. That It's not going to be enough. It's very academic. A five-year-old could figure that out. It's executing it. That's the harder part. But no, you will not. It's an illusion if anyone says Georgia's got to find a way to shut Quentin Johnson down. That's not going to happen, and it doesn't need to happen right. for you to win the game. You just have to make sure you don't get bitten in seven other places on the field.
0: If TCU wins this game, it could sort of breathe a bit of life into the notion that more teams can win a national title than what really the entire 21st century has told us a five and seven team who replaced its statue coach uh, who ranks number 32 in the country in the talent composite rankings. They're not supposed to reach this point and it hasn't happened in the playoff era Will that give some teams false hope in the new playoff system, or is this going to be a shift in philosophy that winning titles just isn't for for teams with top five roster talent? I guess that's the same thing, but... What what about, of our, uh, what about our perspective is going to change if TCU were to win this game? Or I guess even if they don't, is this all of a sudden going to usher in a new era and wherein we see more of these teams outside of the preseason top five, top ten competing for national titles?
3: It was always possible. It was never impossible. Okay, people said cannot. Again, they said cannot when they should have just been saying have not. Uh, just because a G5 team hasn't made the playoff last year doesn't mean they couldn't. Cincinnati proved that. Did it take a lot of dominoes falling into place? Sure. That was always what it was going to take, but it happened uh, TCU. They told you, oh, you can't have a Cinderella in college football. No, you haven't had one, but now you almost have one. You got one that's one game away from it. And like you said, whether they win or lose, it's sort of like the whole Roger Bannister four minute mile effect. No one had run a sub four minute mile. Then he runs one. Then like 400 other people run a sub four minute mile. Well, Was it always impossible and then those people magically developed the ability once they saw Roger Bannister do it? Or did they just need to see it happen to realize the potential was in them all along? I would argue the latter is true. And so likewise, yeah, I think there are a lot lot of folks out there. I mean, I think Central Florida should be watching this right now. Cincinnati should be watching this right now. Houston should be watching this right now. A lot of those programs should be watching and saying, uh, by the way, all those three programs I just mentioned, two lane beat this year. Just hats mm. off to Willie Fritz and company. Um, I think that all of them should be watching and saying that. And also, just think about random programs. Maryland, uh, South Carolina, just random programs that right now you think have an artificial ceiling built in on them. There is only the ceiling that you build in on yourself, and especially in the NIL era where your donor class can step up if they're really serious about it and change The talent acquisition game for you? No, there's no limitation on what you can accomplish. There never was. A lot of people just told themselves that to explain away their own inferiority and mediocrity. No, sometimes you're losing because you're just not that good. It's not because the system's built against you all the time.
0: I I was, I'm definitely still kind of in that camp. Like talent's going to win out. The stars matter thing. I I still am of the belief that TCU might be more of the anomaly and there's still going to be kind of the same group of teams that win a national championship when the playoff expands. But I do think that what TCU has done certainly opens it up in, in a different way than it has in a really long time. And I don't know if there's another comp in terms of the, the playoff era stuff in terms of what they've done that that we've been able to 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 have these potential long-term takeaways with teams that aren't necessarily uh quite as talented as what they had brought to the table this year score prediction from you and if you give me a non-answer i'll tell the world what you said to urban meyer when we were watching him watch michigan
3: tcu the feed didn't die it's just i want to <laughs> see that air here for a second <laughs> Um, I'm not ready yet. I haven't even made the pick on my show yet. Oh. This is this is like having a main event in a pay per view this Sunday. But I say, hey, this house show Thursday in in Sheboygan, we're just going to give it to you for free. How much what? business sense would that make? Oh, you're not God. a house show. Look, you're not a house show. I just needed a proper illustration. We're past Monday, so I can't call you Monday Night Raw. We're already past that. So this Sunday's the big match. I don't know. I lean Georgia right now. Uh, I'll tell you, my model likes Georgia to win by 13, so it's like right on the number. Um, here's here's what I could see happening. I and Mimo always told me a pre- score predictions are a foolish man's game, so I don't have a score prediction. But I think what we could see is that if TCU is competitive, but it's like basically if Georgia handles the game like Ohio State handled most of the other game, where they've got a lead, but it's never like a four possession game. I can see Georgia at the end of the game just realizing we just need to win by a touchdown. It doesn't matter. This is the national title game. And I can see backdoor cover after backdoor cover potential. And I could eventually see TCU pulling to within 10 or like 7. I don't think there's a lot of skill on the final score thing here. I never do, but I really don't on this one. So I could also see Georgia winning by 30. I don't know. I am undecided right now. I think Georgia is going to win the game. I am undecided on where I'm falling on that that side for now shots
0: fired at Sheboygan. I used to have baseball tournaments there when I was a kid. Um, I hope story. it was in the
3: middle of July or August. Cause those are about the only two months. It's really safe to play baseball up there.
0: No, no, we did. Uh, and it was, it was an easy drive. Waukesha Racine. Yeah. All those places in Wisconsin. Yeah. It was a, it was a nice little midsummer treat so for, I, for your boy. I,
3: I am. I am a, I'm a youth from rural Georgia. So of course the only reason I know anything about Racine or Rockford or any of those towns is because I watched a league of their own. Of
0: course. Yeah. Made, yeah. I, I And I didn't even realize that as a kid growing up, I thought there were other racings and at, at Rockford's and then I realized, Oh no, that actually started where, where I grew up. But yeah, go, uh, go figure. I'm, I'm Sheboygan in this podcast understandable um i had that coming to me and by the way just wanted on record josh didn't say anything at urban meyer i might have muttered some things under my breath and might have had a couple of laughs and thought of a couple of things to say but no josh did not actually say anything at the back of urban meyer need that to be
3: known how, how about though how about the the visual we're standing there on the sideline peach bowl warm-ups happening on the field the fiesta bowl is on the big screen and urban meyer is cheering for tcu as if he's got a ticket in the third row, waving a purple and white pom pom. That guy might as well have had a TCU cheek sticker.
0: He was raising his arms in the air every time. Like was I thought not he was going to rip his suit? I like he. I and I, when I tweeted that out, it's like, oh yeah, of course he's rooting against Michigan. I don't think people realize how hard he was rooting against Michigan. At the risk of not being a creeper, I didn't want just want to sit behind him and take video of him just celebrating every big TCU touchdown. But trust me when I say. Urban was very much biased watching that game. It was funny to watch, though. It was. It was. It's in him. It is in him. Can't take it out. Can't take it out. Um, Josh, appreciate the time, as always. uh, Go enjoy back day. Thank you, sir. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is CBS Sports. It's Um, We're. we're, We were just going to talk all national championship. And then, and I've been doing notes for the last 20 minutes, so I missed this. You break the news to me. Oh, by the way, Bobby Petrino is going to be AM's new offensive coordinator. Let's just start right there. Go any way you want with that.
2: Thoughts. Well, I I think that It's probably obvious to people who have been following this, but I think that that's just a testament to how many people did not want this job, right? Obviously, there was a lot of conversation about Garrett Riley from TCU. Certainly, uh, when they win that semifinal game, that's probably off the table, and Texas A&M probably knows it. Uh, There was talk about Ryan Grubb, the offense coordinator at Washington, who reportedly is becoming the newest $2 million coordinator in college football, so Washington spent to keep him, but... I mean, look, there's got to be guys in between those two very good options, and Phil Longo was another guy who was discussed, and taking UNLV's offensive coordinator, which at this point... Is what Bobby Petrino was, right? I mean, Bobby Petrino back, I believe it was December 15th, accepted the the role as offensive coordinator at UNLV, seemingly ending his chances of becoming Texas A&M's offensive coordinator. Uh, and I think that that's as much an admission as any that over the last three weeks, Texas A&M felt like they could do better and until they realized that they can't. Right. And so just a just a bizarre staff now getting built over there in College Station. Obviously, Bobby Petrino, now the new offensive coordinator, Jimbo Fisher. Obviously, we know all of his stuff that happened during his time at Florida State. Uh, DJ Jerkin on the defensive side of the ball. Like, I, I don't know who's in. Well, actually, I do know who's in charge. There. It's Jimbo Fisher. And there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of oversight or accountability underneath them.
0: The egos at play with that are going to be wild, totally Off the charts. Uh, Matt Hayes has written about this for us. Just the, the dynamic at play of Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher. If we thought there were fireworks for 2014 Alabama to see Kiffin and Saban, I think this is going to be on a different level because it's Jimbo giving up play calling duties for the first time, or at least we think that's what we've been told. Bobby Petrino isn't going to College Station to be a yes man, but. You speak to how many people didn't want this job. Football Scoop had it reported that Garrett Riley was offered like a three-year, $6 million deal, turn it down at A&M. And you're thinking to yourself, well, why wouldn't people want this job if you're going to give them all that money? Well, it's because you don't know what this dynamic is going to be like with Jimbo. So like, I feel like we just need a reality show. You need to talk to some people at CBS, get them on board with that, get some big brother type stuff going, and we just get a reality show for Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher.
2: No, I mean, it's going to be a lot. And uh, remember, this is the first time that Jimbo Fisher has not called plays as a head coach, right? Th- this was the thing that he hung his hat on for all those years. And so it's it's going to be interesting to see how he manages that some some coaches really transition well into that role. Actually, you know, we talked about Garrett Riley, Sonny Dykes has done a great job of going from being kind of a basic air raid head coach to being a true CEO and handing the, the reins over to Rhett Lashley and then Garrett Riley. So you know, some coaches, they really embrace that opportunity. I, you know, I think that there's a chance that that's the case for Jimbo Fisher, but, uh, but remember, I mean, he is going to have a large hand in that offense. I think we're going to figure out really early in the 2023 season, whether, you know, Jimbo Fisher is still having input because uh, I, I think that certainly when you look at some of the candidates who I'm sure were offered a lot of money to take this job, they didn't necessarily believe that they would truly have control of the offense.
0: And that's that's a tough pill to to have to swallow for sure. That that stuff definitely matters in the coaching world. And if I always I always talk about it. having total autonomy is something that these coaches covet and they want to be able to run their own thing. They don't want to have somebody micromanaging them or anything like that. It definitely matters uh at a place like AM with Jimbo Fisher. Okay, national championship. You dubbed this the Moxie bowl with Stetson Bennett and Max Duggan. Let's start right there. Who has more moxie and what separates Moxie from grit?
2: i i mean this is this is an all-time game right stetson bennett versus max duggan that that is just the most like just doing stuff quarterbacks of of the last little while right so i i think i would lean with max duggan having more moxie uh Mm. i i think that stetson bennett he has a lot obviously (laughs) um you know he's he's and he's really turned into a legitimately a very good player but i think that uh you know Actually I have a I have a good example of this. So my my friends I have lots of friends who are TCU fans. I'm obviously I went to Baylor. I'm from Big Twelve Country Uh and I've worked with several TCU grads. Um one of my uh one of my friends sent me a fake Facebook account that somebody made of Max Duggan where they post like inspirational quote type things and i mean that's that's the sort of thing right like you can't make that up you you can't do that with just any player that's a very max duggan thing right he obviously has the the moment where he cries after the uh after the big 12 championship game he has that drive uh that that obviously you know will go down in tcu history even though they ended up losing that game i i think that when you talk about guys just putting their body on the line, right? Like, I feel like that leans into Moxie. Certainly there's an aspect of grit involved with that too. I, I think that Moxie though, is more of a quarterback thing. Like mm-hmm. grit, I feel like you're talking running backs, you're talking fullbacks, you're talking linemen. I, I think with uh, with quarterbacks, you're talking Moxie because it's more about just like making things happen. So if I had to to pick, I think that I give Max Duggan the slight edge, but I'll tell you what, I, I don't think that, uh, that Stetson Bennett is short of it in, by any means.
0: We're not supposed to get a national championship like this with two quarterbacks in this spot. It, it is so unique. And assuming that Bryce goes in the first round, every non-Stetson quarterback who started in a national championship the previous four years went in the first round. And if you go back to 2016 to include Jalen Hurts and Jake Fromm, those guys were all QB one by the end of their first game as true freshmen, yes. which is crazy. And by by my very brief research last time a national championship didn't feature a future first round quarterback as I guess we would include Tua in the 2017 game that was a decade ago with Bama and Notre Dame but do you agree that this this matchup kind of opens the door for the the non-Joe Burrow Bryce Young type quarterbacks to think that they have a shot at playing for a national championship
2: yeah it's interesting I, I think that one thing I'm going to be keeping a huge eye on heading into 2023 and beyond is uh You know, we reached a point in 2011, 2012, where we reached sort of peak Bama, right, where this is a mashing game, where this is a we're going to try to run in between the tackles every single time. And then I think in the late 2010s, with the rise of Clemson, with the rise of Ohio State, we reached a point where. Actually, the best way to win was with wide receivers and explosive passing games and things of that nature. Uh, And and I think we're kind of reaching a medium right now. You know, obviously, I think Georgia and TCU are incredible college offenses filled with NFL players. Obviously, those tight ends for Georgia both have a chance to be first round picks. Uh, Quentin Johnson for TCU is going to be a top 10 pick at receiver. Like, I don't want to sit here and act like they don't have talent on that side of the ball. but, uh, But I do think that teams that can grind games out, teams that can find different ways to win. Uh, and, you know, you don't just have to have a drop back passing game to make that happen, I think, in this era. And, and I think that even when you start to look forward, right, Bryce Young is off to the NFL. I, you know, whether it's Jalen Milrow or whether somebody else steps up at Alabama, it's not going to look like what Bryce Young was doing out there, most likely. Uh, even when you look at C.J. Stroud leaving, I think that they're going to need to be more balanced because I don't think they're going to have that level of quarterback play at Ohio State over the next couple of years so i do think it does open up the board of what exactly you're looking for in a quarterback right like i i hear criticisms of max duggan uh you know and, and his drop back passing ability things like that and you know i mean the reality is right one of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever had was uh was tim tebow who was a perfectly adequate passer who was great situationally cam newton a super dynamic running quarterback who also was really good passing the ball, but that's not necessarily why I was picked number one in the draft. So I, I do think that um, that the game tends to be pretty cyclical. We tend to evolve with the times. And I, I do think that there are inefficiencies at play here that we're starting to see with some of these quarterbacks where, uh, you know, being able to do things with your feet, being able to to kind of keep the offense on schedule, even if it's not with 30 and 40 yard bombs, I think is becoming more important and more valuable than ever.
0: I'm interested in your take on this because you've watched TCU closer than I have this year as somebody who just became sort of a, a late season TCU addict when I you know, I'd just flip on these these games in the fourth quarter and see these comebacks and just how ridiculous they were. And they were so fun to watch. But I think TCU was twenty thirteen Auburn. That's the comp I've been making for for a little while. First year offensive minded head coach taking over an unranked team that didn't go to a bowl game the previous year, preseason quarterback situation that's kind of murky at best, and then they win all these close games and with everything on the line, they both won their like fun ends here game with, you know, Kick Six being Auburns and then I'd say the Michigan game was that for for TCU. Is that a fair comp for this TCU team or is there a better one?
2: Yeah, I mean I think that that's a pretty good comp, right? Like it's it's hard to find an exact comparison to this TCU team because we don't really have it in the era of national championship games, right? Because, uh, you know, there's never like TCU has not won a national title since 1938, right? Like they, they've they been a power conference team only since 2012. But in terms of viewing this one team, I think there's a lot of comparisons there. Obviously, uh, a coach coming in and revamping the system of what they do offensively, like Gus Malzahn did. I think that Garrett Riley and Sonny Dykes have done that in a big way. Uh, I, I think that finding better ways to use players that were already on campus is certainly Certainly a huge part of, of the success of both of those teams and a uh, close game luck. Absolutely. I mean, I think that maybe, uh, like you said, the luck runs out game was certainly the Michigan game, but sort of the like crazy miracle game was maybe that Baylor game, you know, where they kind of drive down at the end and kick that field goal with the, with the fire drill, which is still just the, crazy awesome thing it was unbelievable unbelievable like I said I went to Baylor and so I got lots of texts after that game <laughs> with people who had some thoughts about what just happened but uh, you know unbelievable games unbelievable finishes and and I think that having a quarterback obviously Max Duggan and Nick Marshall are different types of quarterbacks but um, but who can be big in those moments and can make plays even though they're maybe not the most talented of guys they're they're not guys who are going to play uh, and start a lot of games in the NFL quarterback I think that that's a huge part of it too so i i definitely think that uh in terms of the you know recent era of the national championship era auburn's probably the closest comparison we can get
0: yeah because there really isn't there's nothing in the playoff era like nothing no, at no, all <laughs> well, not even close yeah and it really is truly an outlier so if tcu is 2013 auburn then that means that we're going to get a title game for the ages because that game against florida state was awesome and it was down to the wire and you're already on board with picking TCU to win this game. So, what is the path to to a victory to be able to do what nobody's been able to do against Georgia with the exception of Bama last year during their 2-year run and be able to to close the book on Kirby Smart's team?
2: Yeah. uh, So, so first I'll say, you know, obviously I was one of the few people who picked TCU versus Michigan and I I felt pretty good about that pick. I thought that I saw the pathway. I thought that it was very realistic. Uh, You know, this one's a little bit more committing to the bit at this point. I feel like, you know, I I think that certainly Georgia is going to be a heavy favorite in this game. I would not have them anywhere close to 13. That's a lot of points, but uh, you know, six, seven point favorite. I think they, that is absolutely deserved. I think Georgia is a better team than any that TCU's face so far. Um, So the pathway for TCU, I think, looks like this. One, they have to be able to continue the level of physicality that they had last week offensively. They have to be able to, they don't have to run for 263 yards, but they have to be a threat in the running game. Obviously, we saw even when Kendra Miller went out, Amari DiMarcado came in, their backup running back and broke off a touchdown. Um, I, I think that they just have to be able to keep that Georgia defense honest, because if if TCU becomes a one-dimensional downfield passing team, I don't think they can win that way. They have the receivers to do it, but that's just not where Max Duggan is at his most comfortable. So uh, they have to find ways to use the running backs that they've got. Obviously, you don't want to go right up the middle into the teeth of that Georgia defense, but you know, can you run some stretch plays? Can you run some toss plays? Can you find even maybe use some of the uh you know some of the the swing passing game in order to generate just some short and mid-range opportunities? Because uh, I'll tell you what, back in 2021, I. I've watched far too much TC football over the last four years. Uh, You know, Max Duggan... early in his career was asked to basically throw nothing but screens and bombs. And he wasn't very good at it. Now that doesn't mean that he can't throw downfield passes, but that's just not what you want to be doing with Max Duggan. You have to get some of the short and intermediate and long pass game going in order to kind of help him build some of his confidence. So I think that they have to be able to show that they're willing to attack at all three levels and find some success. And defensively, my biggest question in this game is what the hell is TCU gonna do with those tight ends? Because obviously nobody's done anything much much good with those tight ends, especially when Darnell Washington was healthy. But you know, I think I think you look at TCU's linebackers. I felt like in Johnny Hodges and Jamoy Hodge, they have some guys who were pretty well uh set up to be almost like Big Ten linebackers or slightly bigger, they're close to 250 pounds. I thought that they'd line up pretty well against the Michigan running game. Well, I don't want those guys in coverage, right? I don't want I don't want those specific guys going up against Brock Bowers. You know, maybe D Winters is somebody who you do trust a little more in coverage, but they're going to have to come up with a plan to both match up with those tight ends in the middle of the field without sacrificing your three-level run defense that you obviously had so much success uh, against Michigan with. So, it's it's a lot. I think that the pathway to success for TCU looks like Look, can you can you put together consistent drives? It doesn't have to be every single time, but you need 8 and 9 play drives. You need to get into the red zone where you have opportunities at least to get into the the end zone. And I think you'd probably do need to hit an explosive play or two to Quentin Johnston. So that's the, the plan offensively. I think defensively, you need to kind of vary your coverages. You need to uh you need to turn Georgia into a passing team, right? I I look at Ohio State and in their games against both Michigan and Georgia, they were kind of doomed by allowing big pa- passing plays. Well, TCU's got much better cornerbacks than what Ohio State is running out there. Obviously, the Thorpe Award winner in Travis Hodges Tomlinson and a really good player in Josh Newton, who I think will play on Sunday. So It's a lot. I mean, honestly, I think that Georgia might be harder offensively to prepare for at this point than defensively because of how hyper efficient they are. But I think that TCU is versatile enough and well coached enough and has enough talent that they're going to be able to keep up and and we're going to have to wait and see what happens at the end.
0: If Kendra Miller doesn't play, how significant is that for TCU?
2: I think it's pretty big. I think it's pretty big. They do have a good backup in Amari DiMarcada, who showed some stuff in the Michigan game, of course, but it's after that that I really wonder more. They have a a player, Amani Bailey, who was a great player for Louisiana uh, in 2021, rushed for seven touchdowns, but hasn't played a whole lot this year. Their next guy after that is a freshman, Trent Battle from Alabama. And so, like, they need to find ways to get to that deeper roster potentially if Kendra Miller's out. He is a game breaker. He is the type of guy, right? We saw in the Texas game, he broke off the 75-yard touchdown run that changed the game and, and really outdueled B, B. John Robinson. So I do think it changes the game a lot if Kendra can't play. Uh, and, and same on the other side. I think if Darnell Washington doesn't play for Georgia, that changes the game a lot. Because in so many ways, having those two guys, it, it's not the primary focus of their team, but it's that second option. It's that plan B. And taking those guys out, I think, is a huge deal. I think Smash is
0: out of eligibility. I think he exhausted that at A&M. But could Tim Riggins <laughs> step in? Is that is that a scheme fit? That, a little bit of a weird scheme <laughs> fit for him.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I think that uh, he's not the type of runner that I want in this game. I think that he would be, a, you know, he's trying to go up the middle, right? He's yeah. trying to go between the tackles. I, I don't know if I like the, the Tim Riggins versus Jalen Carter matchup quite as much. <laughs> uh, but, you know, yeah, if you can get Smash out there, I mean, you know, get some stuff breaking to the outside. Who knows?
0: smash could run those swing plays too he'd be great on the edges he needed to get into a little bit more of a of a modern day air raid scheme I think to kind of maximize some of those abilities get him some more spacing listen I I know
2: that I know that with the COVID year everybody has has eligibility left man (laughs) like we we got we got to get him out here with the transfer portal right obviously uh Sonny Dykes has done such great work with it I'm sure I'm sure he could figure out something on a week's notice (laughs) How many uh, how many
0: notches below Marvin Harrison Jr. is Quentin jo- is Quentin Johnson,
2: if any? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I I think they're different. They're different players. Um, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is much better as a possession receiver, right? Like he is somebody who you can go to over and over again, and just from a technician perspective, he is. I mean, obviously he is the son of, uh, you know, some receiver that I won't name because, uh, you know, that's that's dangerous business. But, uh, you know, I think that with Quentin Johnston, I, I you know, he is such a matchup nightmare uh, for defensive backs. He's big. He's as big as Marvin Harrison Jr., if not a little bigger. Yeah. And the big thing, too, is he has humongous arms. I, I know that Richard Johnson over at Sports Illustrated uh, was talking to me and said he has Giannis arms, which he kind of does. Like, he, that's that sort of reach that he has. Um, you know, I, I think that his hands are a little less consistent, but I think that in some ways he's more explosive uh, and more explosive after the catch. So he is somebody who... When he is truly on, I mean, we saw in that two-game stretch, I believe it was Oklahoma State and Kansas. He had nearly 400 yards receiving in those two games alone and kind of dealt with injuries after that. So we saw in the Michigan game him at full strength. I, I think he's going to be a huge part of this. And and look, Keely Ringo is a really good corner, but he takes some chances. Yeah. I, I think that Quinton has to win one or two of those matchups in a big way to help set up touchdowns. and um, And I think he's absolutely capable of it.
0: On a scale of one to 10, with 10 being like peak John Mulaney stand up special, how hilarious is it that Garrett Riley got to a national championship calling plays before Lincoln Riley did? <laughs>
2: Oh man, there's so many things that are funny about this game. Uh, obviously, like you said, Garrett Riley getting there before Lincoln Riley. Uh, I think that TCU beating Texas and Texas AM and to the playoff and beating both of them to the national championship game in the playoff era. Uh, you know what? Look, I, I think that Ohio State deserves a lot of credit for what happened the other day. But let's now remember that Sonny Dykes has as many playoff wins as Ryan Day. That's a strange like this is so weird. This is I have no explanation for what happened this year so uh honestly just with everything combined this is like a 35 out of 10 this is this is unbelievable i can't wait for this game and uh you know look there, there's absolutely a world where tc just gets blown off the field i want to be very clear about that like there's a chance that this is an all-time beatdown but man if if that like five percent chance of winning hits it is going to be one of the greatest college football stories in the history of this sport and that is saying something I mean, 12 12
0: games against Power Five competition this year, and nobody's blown out TCU. And and look, a lot of SEC fans are going to listen to saying, well, it's Big 12. It's Big 12. It's like, yeah, I understand that. I still think the Big 12 has some quality teams there this year. And like, nobody has done this to TCU, where like, that's actually the one thing. I think they have over that 2013 Auburn squad who went into LSU and got blown out early in the season. And that game was never really in doubt. Like we've never seen this from TCU and even the games where they fall behind by 10, you know, Kansas state, of course, they just, they always come back. So yeah, I'm not expecting a blow, a blowout for that reason. Um, here's a good hypothetical for you. Which of these things is more likely to happen first? Um, a Lincoln Riley wins the national title at USC. B Arch Manning leads Texas to a playoff berth. Or C, Jimbo Fisher either wins a national title or gets fired at AM.
2: <laughs> that's a hellish <laughs> that's, that's a hellish hypothetical. Uh oh boy. Um I'm gonna say that Jimbo gets fired at AM. I, I think that it's not gonna happen soon, right? We're talking like four or five years. I so so let's let's put it like this. I don't think Arch is going to lead Tex to the playoff at any point. Okay. I, I think that they're they're going to go to the SEC, and I don't think they're ready for it. I don't think they're ready for the week-to-week grind of it. I kind of don't think that Steve Sarkeesian will be the coach there very long after they enter the SEC. Mm. I, I don't think he's the guy. Um, So it's it's just a lot to ask from them. You know, the, the USC national championship thing is interesting, right? This, this was year one. I know that people are going to, kill them for what they did defensively over the course of the season like this is their first year this was like a uh this was like a totally like taped together roster I think they're gonna be better I think that maybe you know you should have some thoughts about Alex Grinch who I by the way I, I think Alex Grinch is like a fine coach but it's clearly not working right no, like it's, it's clearly just not working it doesn't mean that he can't coach right it doesn't mean that he's not capable of being successful but this is just like this is so many years man this is so many years of having that dude in charge of your program and it just you know maybe it's just time to to think about something else and it's time for for us to go enjoy himself and you know coach some other program and not have all this focus and all but uh I think that we're probably talking like a four-year time frame of uh, of Jimbo maybe reaching the end there, right? Like this is this is desperation time and it's year two of this contract, man. Like to Got the already numbers right be here. The... Got oh them right here, man. Gosh. Keep them on my desk. All the buyout oh numbers
0: right there. <laughs> just whatever whatever I think to myself. Oh, how how much would it be next year? Just just yeah, how much? It's, like, it's a lot. It's so bad. It's this so
2: was terrible. year one of his extension this was year uh, 1 and a, a 10 year 95 million dollar extension i uh you know look i i think that i think by the time we're getting to year 4 and 5 that's i think maybe when we're getting to the point of okay maybe this this could actually happen right i mean we're we're still talking 50 million dollars which is just oh my gosh just so unbelievable much. but i mean let's remember too right Obviously, Bobby Petrino has had success as an offensive coach during his time in college football, right? Like, he's not like a bad offensive coach. I want to be very clear about that. But also at his last FBS institution, his team after Lamar Jackson left literally just quit on him and said, we hate being here. And then immediately Scott Satterfield, who like people don't even like, came in and took them to a bowl game. Like, I, I don't know. This is an all time bad vibes coaching staff. Like I, I don't know if there's ever been another that's been as bad vibes as this staff. Like heading in too, right? Like there's obviously been times when a staff becomes a bad, a bad vibe staff. But like when you make the hires of Bobby Petrino and D J Durkin and Steve Adazio and Jimbo Fisher, you already know what the deal is. And so I don't know. I mean, again, we are talking. <laughs> All time. Actually, I wrote about this a little bit uh, when the season ended, right? Like we are in truly unprecedented times when it comes to these contracts because we have never seen a coach. So protected by his contract, yeah. right? Because we have, and we have multiple of them. Obviously, yep. we've got Jimbo Fisher, but like if Mel Tucker isn't signed to a huge contract, I think we're having conversations. Obviously, you know, James Franklin had a good year this year, but like that's a huge contract. Mario Cristobal just signed a huge contract at Miami. He's untouchable for at least four or five years. Um, you know, we have so many of these contracts flying around right now. I'm very curious long term. When the bubble pops on one of them and what that school has to do, do they just resign themselves to the fact that their football program is going to be an afterthought? Because how can you do that if you are a program like Texas A&M or Penn State or Michigan State or USC or Miami? It's, It's an unbelievable position to be in.
0: It's happening and it's going to happen soon. It definitely will. Where somebody's paying like a $40 million buyout. We're going to say, remember when you could only pay, you only had to pay 20 million bucks to buy out a head coach. Like what a crazy thought. That's the world that we are, that we are living in. Uh, Last one for you. Final score for your, your TCU victory is what?
2: Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to go with 28-24. I think it has to be a very low possession game. I think it has to be maybe an ugly game. I, I think that both ways this could turn into a slog. And uh, so I, I think it looks something like 28-24, maybe a, an interception in there, maybe a missed field goal in there. Uh, it is fully competitive at the end of the game, but uh, but TCU just makes one more play.
0: Shahan, really appreciate the time, man. Really, really appreciate it. the The equal side. We needed to get the the unbiased
2: TCU side of this <laughs> argument as well. Uh, yeah, are you, uh, you going to be at the game on Monday night? I will not. I will not. I'll be uh, I'll be doing it from my my living room in Dallas, Texas. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to see it.
1: LA's too far, man. Just can't go that far. man, I'll tell
2: you what, I, I checked the flights. Um, you know, again, so so CBS wasn't gonna send me. Unfortunately, we got like six on our national yeah. team, and uh, and I'm still kind of the new guy. I get it, I understand. You don't have to send me to everything. But uh I I checked the price of flights from DFW after the, the playoff game. It's like fifteen hundred dollars to get to LA right Ooh. now, man, because people in Fort Worth are going crazy right now. Oh my and the other God. The thing I'll mention, uh, just to contextualize this whole deal, right, is there are, between active students and living alumni, there are 80,000 total TCU people right now. Total. That's how many people, yeah, they can all fit inside Michigan Stadium. It's crazy. But despite that, TCU sold out their 20,000 ticket allotment in minutes. So when you're talking about a, a fan base, that's excited. That's a huge deal. And also by the way, and, and, you know, I'll throw a little bit of shade, you know, cause, cause I, I did go to Baylor. So I feel like I got to get at least one shot in there. Um, You know, it's in LA and TCU is very much a California school. They're, they're not real Texans. So, you know, that it, it's actually a home game when you really think about it, since it's taking place in LA. So, uh, but, but seriously, I mean, it's going to be a great game. Uh, you know, TCU fans I know are so excited for it. And, and honestly, like, george is a great story i think that people aren't sick of georgia by any means as yet but this i think would just be such a big moment for anybody who's not a fan of one of the superpower teams right if if tcu found a way to to do quite literally the impossible for the first time ever uh so so i'll be watching closely no matter what happens it's gonna be a great game
0: awesome man yeah uh agree with you just hope we we get a close game that's fingers crossed that's all we could that's all we can root for at this point uh we'll we'll talk real soon man
2: appreciate it yeah thank you so much for having me
1: how about this one i call it bold and brash more like belongs in the trash
3: <laughs> sorry i must have missed that one bold and brash national championship
0: edition i think the boldest thing that you can say is that TCU rolls in this one that's the mm-hmm. only, that's the only true bold result in this game because every everything else feels inevitable to a certain extent. Like if you say Georgia wins by two touchdowns, or I mean, you could say Georgia wins by twenty eight, and you would say, "All right, well, yeah, Georgia's more talented team, whatever." Like they're defending national champs. The fun ends here. Like that. That would that would certainly play into what a lot of people are expecting to see in this game. And at the same time, if TCU plays yet another down to the wire game. I think that would still be considered a basic prediction, which I'm admittedly a basic predictor of this football game and saying that it's a close down to the wire game in which TCU covers but does not win. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know. These are going to be more – we're going to reward you more so if you say bold things happen within that game, I think – We got a ton Mm -hmm. of responses on the Facebook group, by the way, tons of responses. A lot of people got some, some hashtag thoughts for this here national championship that we're going to get boldest thing for this game would also be, let's see, rock Bowers rushing touchdown. Is that bold?
1: Oh, I love that one. I Is think that that's a, a really good
0: one. That, that'd, be it, a, it, that'd be
1: a good prop to get in on. I wonder how many total rushing touchdowns. I feel like every time he gets to the ball, it's kind of regardless of where he, he touches it. It's dynamic. But that would be a really good one because you know they're going to pull like a trick play. We yeah. joked about like the good plays and now they're like at the bottom of some bag and they're like they've had two games in a row where they've needed to use some good plays. So I think they might have to go back to the drawing board and be like, hey, Philly special. Like I'm sure there's going to be something crazy in this game like that. Also, really like quick that. on that, Philly specials, are actually not cool anymore. I decided They're that not. whenever Michigan tried one, whenever they first did the Philly special, I know it like came from Clemson or something, but like it when they first did it in the Super Bowl, it was so cool because of the moment. But with each Philly special, they become easier to defend and you get more of the clips of dudes just getting blown up. And it's like, this is whack, dude. Don't do that. Did it? That was the play that Kansas tried
0: to execute. At the end of that game, too. And they took the ball out of Jalen Daniels' hands. Mm -hmm. Like, what, triple overtime? Whenever that was. I think that was Philly special, I want to say, on that play. We'll never know. (laughs) Yeah. But you're right. It, It feels like every single time I've seen Philly special since that game, it's been just a horrible play. And it's been terrible. And you're like, what? I'm getting way too cute with it. What are they doing? And it's <laughs> like this was one of the best trick plays in Super Bowl history. And then here it is. You think no just one's seen it? Was, like
1: you yeah. think you're just gonna slide this one in there. It's like, oh, the quarterback's going up for a round. Cover him. up oh, plays over, boy. <laughs> like, oh crap,
0: they were watching that game. Darn. We'll come up with something new. It's from um, a very niche program called the Super Bowl. I don't know if you guys yeah. have seen it. It's just a couple of eyeballs on that one. Um, Okay. Let's start with this one from... Okay. This is good. Chris Tapley says, Max Duggan changes his name to Max Power and grows a mullet. He can (laughs) actually. He's got the length the hair length to be able to do that. And I know I'm saying length funny, but people, I love it when they say in basketball length. So that's, (laughs) that's why we're saying it that way. Um, Mm -hmm. He definitely could just shave the sides and have a mullet. So that's certainly possible. Don't know that he's going to bust that out for Monday night, but Hey, you never know. They've been unpredictable all year. Uh, Chris also says after the game, he becomes good friends with uh, Mike Honcho and is uh, into doing... Okay, we're, we're going to skip the rest of that part. We're going to skip the rest of that part. I should have just stopped the See, this the is mullet. what I was talking about. When... <laughs> I just, yeah, I should have stopped for the mullet part. Um, Let's go to this one from Ross Elkins. This this is bold. This is definitely bold. He says, UGA goes old school and only lets Stetson throw 10 times and they decide to run the ball for 300 yards with three different running backs getting 100 all-purpose yards. If Stetson only throws it 10 times against this really good TCU secondary, it wouldn't be, um, okay, no, it would be, it would be stunning. It would be stunning. I don't know that they're going to want to throw the ball 40 times. And I say Mm -hmm. that after all this pro sets and stuff, they can win. They can beat you in different sort of ways, but man, um, They were getting what they wanted running the football against Ohio State for a really long time, and then it was—it almost felt like once they figured out that they were getting whatever they wanted, then they didn't, and they—they just were running the ball while trailing, and then it wasn't working, and that was part of the reason why it took so Georgia so long to come back in that game because, for for a while there, their backs were eaten, and, and the run blocking was excellent and i was kind mm-hmm. of surprised that that they didn't have more success with that in the second half because the assumption was like all right yeah Georgia's down at halftime but they're just going to lean on that ground game in the second half and they're just mm-hmm. going to control the tempo and they're going to be able to kind of pull away in this one and that did not happen at all so i wonder if if that's the game plan going into tcu as they try and recreate some of that that ground game success that they had early but i don't think Setson's throwing the ball 10 times a la greg mcelroy against texas in that national championship but mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the game plan is a bit more run heavy than what we've seen in, rec- in
1: recent games from this Georgia
0: team.
1: Yeah, the thing that's crazy, too, is Ohio State is one of the few teams that has like a couple of dudes that like you could kind of put next to Jalen Carter. Like, I feel like it would be just Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, and then that dude, JT, JT whatever his name is that they have, is just disgusting there yeah. i knew you would have that yeah i, like, so- I butchered that <laughs> by the way i butchered it many times but yeah i know who you're talking about but yeah i mean so it's like that's a guy that we're all gonna hear about next year he was crazy the maryland game but yeah i think it's a little bit different in that situation where it's like you may have you like probably just couldn't push ohio state the way that hopefully they can push tcu but like that would be the most boring outcome would be they just realized they could push tcu and the game takes like two hours of real time yeah I, I don't know that they will i don't know that they will monkton has not been as
0: one-dimensional in these games against elite competition they've mm-hmm. they've really tried to establish a little bit more balance because they can again balance i think is overrated but balance when you can actually make it work and use with, use some tempo with it is really effective if you're a team like Georgia so i think we could definitely see some of that in this one and it'll be interesting to see kind of if they want to go up tempo from the start just like up tempo throwing the ball to the edges you're you're getting you know some of these receivers who haven't been as, as involved throughout the season you're getting them involved You're taking a chance with Arian Smith early. Like, is Georgia going to do something like that? Because that would be a little bit more similar to what we saw against Oregon. Now, if they come out and it's just like, hand it off, hand it off, hand it off, only pass in third and long situations, that would be
1: a a real throwback performance. Mm -hmm. And maybe not in a good way for Georgia. Right. Yeah, you can't do that anymore, especially if you're playing like Max Duggan, who's like, okay, sweet. Yeah, let's do it. Jonathan
0: Wallace says, Georgia doesn't show up. And in the upset of the decade, TCU wins by 24 I that would be the upset of the decade I'm trying to think national championship upsets outside of the one that we talked about earlier with miami and ohio state
1: mm-hmm. ah.
0: man that's been that 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 is kind of the biggest i mean 2018 clemson I'd have to go back and look at that. Spot. That one
1: was shocking at the time. That's a really good point. It was I, shocking because of how lopsided it was, too. Right. Exactly. Like it wasn't just that they won by like ten; it was they won by like forty or something. I've just not really seen before since.
0: Yeah, they won by what did they win? They get I think they won to get by like twenty eight. It was the worst loss that Saban had ever had ever suffered. But yeah, right. like I think those would qualify as the two most shocking national championship results of the twenty first century. Georgia losing by 24 would be mm-hmm. right up there with it, maybe even number one of, of all of those. But yeah, we we typically haven't had these stunning results just because usually the teams who make it to a national championship are somewhat evenly matched. I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of really good national championship games in the playoff era. As much as we've talked about the Laughers and semifinal games, man, like the national championships have very oftentimes kind of lived up to that billing. And mm-hmm. I guess I say that knowing that what now that I'm thinking about it, crap for <laughs> three, three, of the last four have been kind of duds in terms of like close down the wire. They haven't been, you know, competitive mm-hmm. games late, but nonetheless, I think for the most part, you would still say that a close national championship has been much more likely, especially a 24 point game in which the underdog wins by that much. That would be stunning.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, yeah, to the the Clemson LSU game, Clemson was up, I think, 17, or they were up 17 210, or like they were very early controlling that game, and then Barrow just turned it on. But yeah, I'm I'm thinking about that now. It's like, I mean, would you even consider like, even like two lost LSU against Ohio State was like, yeah, but this is still Ohio State and this is still LSU because like I'm sure a lot of people were like, this team doesn't belong here. That was, I was young for that. You know but. what?
0: That's a, that that okay that or the year before mm-hmm. Ohio State losing to that Florida team, which oh. sounds crazy. That yeah. sounds crazy. But at that time, oh, I, and I guess t- Texas USC, the year before, of course. Um, yeah. yeah, that that would definitely qualify for sure. I don't know why I, I omitted that one from my, from my memory. But th- that game the year before, that was one of those times in which I remember going into school. I was in high school <laughs> and telling people like, you guys, there's no way Ohio State's losing this football game. There's no right. way. And then when Ted Ginn runs back the opening kick for a touchdown, I'm like, these people are so stupid that said Florida was going to win this game. Like how can people (laughs) actually think Florida is going to win this game? They were so mediocre. And then boy, did they ever, Oh my God. That's, That's a really was, good like, too. Rise. That too. No, did. you're
1: yeah. so right about the te- that exact moment because I remember thinking that too would be like, all right, let's see what these boys from up north are made. Uh oh, and then <laughs> it's like, oh, this might be bad. And then yeah, Florida took over from that point. And yeah, it's like we know Florida is Florida, like we know the Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow, all that. But that was Chris Leak. Like that was not that team. That was a little bit of Tim Tebow, but like not really. They still had like a pretty mid season in between that team in 2008. And so like they were definitely not the consistent model of success the way Ohio State was, who had just been yeah. you know, like you said in 2002. and and had that game. So, yeah, no, I think that's actually, like looking back on it, we could say that that was actually a pretty wild outcome.
0: Uh, Let's go to this one from, okay, yeah, this is bold. Zachary Warden says, Stetson, the walk-on DUI lawyer Bennett, uh, the 15th. (laughs) sets the new playoff record for completion percentage in a championship game. I don't know what that is. You're going to have to look that up.
1: Those oh, are the stats right here, buddy. And oh. uh, just like the rest of the very real things that happened in that year, it was 80% by Mac Jones in a championship team played on the set of that. So Raven. So this yes, that one. And the next one would be uh, about 70%, which is Cardell Jones. So again, some would call that an outlier myself among them, but you know, Listen. So that's, if that Bama team has the has the claim for the best team ever with LSU, if they're really going to hold that one up, if I'm a Georgia fan, I'm just sticking. I'm sticking this team up there. I'm being like, you know what? Fine. I'm just going to fire hose you guys into thinking that. Fine. Just <laughs> no matter what. Even if they win this game, and it's like they
0: they are desperate. They need some sort of comeback. Just we are one of the great all time teams. Love yeah. That. Exactly. That's it.
1: We're fifty to those three times. Well, two times that's happened. They're looking to be the third.
0: Uh, Zachary also says also TCU will outrush Georgia behind a whale of a game from Max Duggan, aka Andy Dalton 2.0. What's up with redheaded quarterbacks at TCU? They have the power. It's like Samson with the hair. <laughs> why? Just just why? Why does why does that have to be their their thing? Max Duggan isn't as what's the right word to say this? Can't say that. No, can't say that Is either. Handsome. He's not as, uh, this is bold and brash. He's not as bold of a redhead as Andy Dalton was there. There's there's a politically correct way to say that. Um, He's not as like red, like fire red. Mm -hmm. I just said fire. I didn't say anything else. I just said
1: fire red. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) connor the irishman with the coded language about red-haired people I'm, right yeah no you're right you know what's funny too we were in philly at mumbers and like after watching that semi-final we just kept saying you're the frog and then we went to mumbers and there was like these this frog parade and i was like look guys you're the frog and then uh the saints played the eagles and he told like one thing you're, look you're the frog it is what it is if the
0: Hypnotoad is the image of the 2022 season i I wouldn't object to that. TCU would have to win a national championship for us to say that, but I mean, 60 minutes away. They are technically. Mm -hmm. Jesse Folly says, Brock Bowers has three touchdowns in his home state return, two receiving and one rushing. Will, I'm going to ask you to do some on-the-spot research. Jesse is 100% correct in that he could have the one rushing touchdown. I love that. We're all over that. Um, And he absolutely could have three touchdowns. How far away is Napa from L.A.? drive.
1: That's so I think, funny because I was looking at Brock Bauer's touchdowns as you said that, and I was not expecting this. Let's see. A drive, it appears to be six and a half hours. <laughs> Isn't <laughs> that crazy? Isn't that yeah, crazy? California is big, man.
0: California is like its own country. It's wild. I didn't realize how far, how far apart they were. Until going there, I was always like, oh, yeah, it's running California. It's Southern California. I live in Florida. Florida is a very big state. Whenever people are like, oh, yeah. like So you go up to like Tallahassee ever to cover games. I'm like, Tallahassee is still really far from me. Like mm-hmm. I, getting up to the panhandle or like Destin is still six hours away. And I live in Central Florida. It's a massive, massive state. California, huge state, huge state. There's a lot of California representation, though. On that Georgia team. So it'll be kind of interesting. Uh Kendall Milton's another one who's going to be going back to California, going back to Cali. I'm sure that's going to be blaring in the headphones for mm-hmm. those California, Georgia guys. But yeah, Brock Bowers, I feel like lives in such a different part or grew up in such a different part of California. The over-under that we should have had is the the references to him being back in his home state. That mm-hmm. would have been really good too. Just Probably gonna get at least at least one of those. Probably two, maybe um, if he scores three touchdowns, especially one rushing. We better get some Brock Bowers. California Love, all time great song by the way. California Love, that's probably like a top five
1: to ten hip hop song of the nineties. Yeah, that I mean no, it's it's a great song. I mean yeah, he has had so Brock Bowers has had one, two, three, four, five, six two touchdown games. Um, so that would be kind of his best i think it'll be his best big game you know what's crazy is that i feel like pretty clearly Brock Bauer's best game ever was in the loss to alabama in the sc championship game and that was like the game was not his fault he had like 140 on 10 catches and a touchdown like he obviously like really showed out there yeah so like i think he probably is due for like one of those games in a big situation um yeah as i'm looking at this yeah they They had a Florida game, like, that's this year. They didn't really, really need him for that. So, like, yeah, point being, like, I think that that might be the one. It's like, oh, Brock Bowers is taking over this game, like, kind of, like, on the way, you know? Uh, Let's go to this one from Drew Page. Drew says,
0: Max Duggan gets a 45-yard TD run. During the celebration, he throws up a frog, cementing that he quite literally had that frog in him.
1: A little frog he just pulled out of his pads how oh, this one throw up a frog. Do you get frogs in Atlanta? Uh I get oh, I guess he means like throw up like barf a frog. So he had that oh. frog. In oh,
0: so like Ronald
1: Weasley and
0: uh oh, I can't believe it's called Ronald. Um Longbottom. No, no, not Longbottom. Ron. Ron throws up frogs in mm-hmm. uh what is it? The um uh, no, it's slugs. It's slugs he throws up, not frogs. Okay, my okay. bad. Staying corrected. Harry Potter stands don't, don't don't get mad at me too much for that one. Mm-hmm. Do, do you get frogs in Atlanta that'll just be out and about?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, same as anywhere. They just kind of chill in their own little area, but yeah, they'll be around people. Okay. Just
0: wasn't sure if that was just like a, if that was just a Florida thing. We used to have a frog that would hang out on our front door, and I named him Nelson. He was there <laughs> pretty much on a nightly basis. We, we talked, a lot of conversations. He's a good frog. It's a good frog. I think he would have been loyal enough to like stay in a sock somewhere. Um, maybe, oh, maybe Max Duggan has so- a frog like that. Immediately jailed for animal cruelty charges. On the field <laughs> that, would be a, that would be a wild twist to this game. Oh my god! The, the Peter reaction. Just, the yeah. <laughs> the Peter reaction to that one would be off the charts. We we've had enough Peter moments in sports over the last few years. I don't think we need to get into the weeds with something like that. Yeah, just a fake frog would do. A fake frog would be fine. And not a horned frog because that seems like it would be painful. I don't think you need to go down that road. But yeah, that'd be great. Um, okay. Corey Puckett, simple. Bold and Brash, TCU national champions. Yep. Cool. Yep. Um, let's go. Uh, marlar has got one. Marler says, I get arrested before the game for refusing to stop tailgating at SoFi. How about that? Not that Marler <laughs> says, <laughs> refuses to stop tailgating. Um, no tailgating ads so far. What, what are they doing here? Like, what do, I get it. You don't want to have to control that kind of environment. And at, 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 to a certain extent... I think tailgating it takes the right sort of atmosphere. If you don't really feel like you have a parking lot that's equipped for it and you can't get people in and out in, in the you know the most efficient way, I get it a little bit from a logistics standpoint, but how are you gonna have a college football game in which you can't tailgate? This is the the core like the the corporate college football ways that we have seen during the playoff era. This is just To me, it's like as egregious as anything that there is to just be like, oh, yeah, we're going to force you to make sure that we go into the stadium. And by the way, beer prices, you want to get a tall boy in the stadium.
1: I doubt that's under 20 bucks. Oh, dude, let me tell you what, man. They weren't selling beer at the SEC championship game. And like, that's the crazy thing. Cause Georgia still hasn't, it's a state by state thing for yeah. college football specifically. So I actually like weirdly, like I've told you, I've told the story before, but I went to a super bowl. It's kind of like a makeup for the saints thing. And it was the Cam Newton one. It was in Santa Clara. And at that time I was like, huh, these people out here don't really kind of get how this whole thing works because it was, like, so corporate. It was, like, so hard to get out of there, like, that type of stuff. And when you throw on, like, the level of it being college football and the extra level of being, like, the CFP commission, who, like, they need to get their litigators out in front of this 12-team playoff early and be like, here are our rules. Here is what we're doing. We're not going to – I don't want to do this crap where every stadium feels like a completely different universe. Like, let's figure this out. I I don't like this. I – I'm a, I'm a bit conflicted on that because the
0: people that they continue to say like, oh, just have it all at the Rose Bowl. It's like, there are a lot of things oh, outside of the God. Rose Bowl that kind of suck to get to. And I, I get that it it's beautiful to watch on, on national TV and, and it's great. And the venue is so cool. And the Rose Bowl would love nothing more than if it got special treatment from college football and it just got to be the national championship. That's like, that would be apex mountain for the Rose Bowl itself. But the problem is that If you have it at a place in which these outside factors just are not there, a lot of people complain about the parking. A lot of people complain about getting to the stadium and how difficult that is and how expensive it is for everybody to fly there. I mean, Mm -hmm. everybody, you're paying an arm and a leg to be able to get from point A to point B. And with a little, with some of these more centrally located national championships, like say what you want about Indianapolis. All right. And I'm the biggest Indianapolis stand Mm -hmm. that there is. But having a game that's a little bit more centrally located, kind of easier, kind Mm -hmm. of is, okay? I mean, and I get it, college football players, college football fan bases, they're used to traveling and all that stuff. I I understand all of it. But I do, as much as I would love to be able to see it from like a – just associate that national championship with a specific venue, like it's kind of cool to the eye. Just mm-hmm. in terms of being able to go to different places and experience different things with it, it is kind of nice. And if, you know, the national championship
1: was in Miami, I wouldn't hate that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you find yourself arguing passionately that the college football playoff needs to have a championship in the Rose Bowl, ask yourself, has your team won a semifinal game? Has your team appeared in that championship? Because to me, that sounds like a person who is non-alcoholic setting the rules of a bar, in my opinion, because at yeah. the end of the day, how many people whose teams would like to play in the Rose Bowl have actually had any bit of sense of what is happening in college football? So that's my take. Win a game. Win a a game and then you can have a seat at the table for your bad opinions but until then don't sit there and shake your fist at something because guess what buddy we could have played both of those games at the rose bowl and both Big Ten teams simply would have lost so i don't yeah. want to hear that anymore <laughs> yeah
0: i don't either and look i i think that's one of the things that makes college football great is that we 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 do feel like maybe not as much recently there's been a little bit too much regionalization of the sport but one of the things that's kind of great about it is that You can get somebody from the total opposite side of the country that's very much invested in a specific result. And I think that that would suggest that we're not going to see that anytime soon. And I would doubt that we see that when the field expands that we're going to see a game at a very specific spot and that one
1: place is going to get to host a national championship. There's just too much money at stake. There's too much money at stake. it would almost have to be like an indie because it needs to be totally non-affiliated. You know what I'm saying? I know the Big Ten does stuff up there, but it's not like –
0: how dare you say that Indiana football will not be playing in a national championship anytime soon. You take their name out your mouth. Do not come here with that energy.
1: That's Lynn Kiffin's biggest win, and we talk about him plenty. So I understand. But all I'm saying there is like, I would love for it to be in Atlanta. I think Atlanta works out really well. But then, of course, those same people, are like, you don't want a home game for Georgia, at which point we could show them the statistics on that. They wouldn't care. That's fine. So I don't know. That's like probably a conversation for a later date. But it's like, yeah, like you almost kind of need to put it somewhere that doesn't, no one's going to be mad about. But anyway. Yeah, which is impossible.
0: And that's why they move it around. And that's why the Super Bowl gets moved around all the time. And Mm -hmm. that's why the Final Four gets moved around all the time. There's just so much money at stake with these things that putting it at one place and kind of minimizing that just does not seem like the way that college football is going to work uh, in the TV
1: rights era. Okay, well, let's end with some Lad of the Week. Um, Get us started. So my Lad of the Week is Mike Loxley, former Alabama OC, who is now the coach at Maryland. Um, So I think that, you know, I was wrong in seeing him as a little bit more of a recruiter than a coach when he initially got the Mar- Maryland job. And it's probably because I was butthurt about Kim Jarrett. think he's a really good coach. I think that he has locked down that DMV area. i um, talking about, you know, John Allen, some of the guys from there. And nobody's happy with, happier about these Harbaugh rumors than him because our boy that we've talked about, Nicholas Harbor, it's kind of between those two. So, you know, if you, if you want to do that and, and see what coach is locked in, I'll tell you my lad of the week, Michael Oxley put on one of the big caps, which we've seen from Brian Robinson. We've Still seen it get all them. around the NFL. They're so weird and funny. And there's not really a place you could wear them. You said you don't get them. I don't get them. No, <laughs> well, they're not functional at all. I totally understand Once you purchase. One of those, you're wearing it once. Cause it's funny for like 10 minutes. However, he perfectly executed it. So, Loxley was in the Mayo Bowl. They won the Mayo Bowl. Instead of getting bonked on the head, he brought some protection. So he went ahead and put on the big cap. They dumped the mayonnaise over the big cap. And, you know, that was funny. And I was like, oh, you know, this is funny. But the degree to which it worked is really what I'm impressed by. The degree to which it acted as it was a parasol, the giant baseball cap on his head that completely funneled all the mayonnaise off of him. And if you know how mayonnaise works, you can get in anything. It smells or whatever. So I know he was sitting there just watching the mayonnaise cascade down and be like, you know what? I was right. And so that's a thing about him and you know he was right he took over this is his hometown team he's led them to eight wins you know for the first time in a long time like they, they're 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 really on the come up they're getting hot with recruiting they've always been able to recruit under him because he's such a great recruiter such a great offensive mind they were locked they were toe-to-toe with ohio state this year so it's been a really strong year for them and he's my lad of the week you know you love to see guys bring bring things to their hometown team and like i said in context with it's getting harder harder and harder to harder and harder to find so mike loxley not covered in mayo lad of the week
0: Loxley has had to. Oh, and by the way, they definitely dumped like the remaining mayo on his head. They made him like take off the big <laughs> the big cap. you are like, that. cheating. That's a rules violation. Yeah, they definitely were like, all right, we can't have this as an image, uh, because then every coach is going to do that. But is a guy that has had to build himself back up two different times in his career. Um, mm-hmm. Some of that was his own doing with the way that things played out at new in new mexico with with Mm -hmm. that whole thing you can look that up i don't want to we don't need to dig into that um and then with the way that it played out as the interim coach for randy edsel and was a guy that was kind of not really seriously considered for the head coaching job even though it felt like he should have been um Mm -hmm. and that was a move in which i think maryland kind of came to regret and ultimately that's why they they doubled back and they were able to get him after he had you know great success at alabama and what he's been able to do at Maryland is fun to watch. And Talia Tungabailoa is quietly turned into like one of the more fun quarterbacks to watch in all of college football, which mm-hmm. he wouldn't have had that opportunity if he had stayed at Alabama because Bryce Young would have been the guy. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: for all the people that hate on quarterbacks transferring, I think that's a positive case, but yes, uh, Loxley is somebody that a lot of people very much like in this sport and they like to be able to root for him for sure. Okay. Um, Mine, uh, we'll get a little bit more seriously. We'll get a little bit more serious uh, with this one. Uh, the family of Damar Hamlin, I-, I can't imagine what they're going through right now. The week probably doesn't really feel real for them after what happened on Monday night. And what I think is so tough with situations like that is that there are just so many people that are trying to get a piece of what's going on and, and all the different people that are, that are reaching out to them. And it's just so much to process in a situation that you can't ever mentally prepare for. um, But I think the grace that they've had to show during these moments and how composed that they have been and, and and not putting blame on anybody or or anything like that. I I just think that's been second to none to be able to watch this because they, they have so many people coming at them from different directions, trying to figure out what exactly is going on, because this was this massive national story with the way that this all happened on Monday night football with so many people watching and just at a loss and, in these situations, a lot of times people, one of my frustrations is that people look for something or someone to blame. And, um, I think in in a spot like this, it could have been very easy for a family to, to not show that proper grace. And they certainly have been able to, to do that so far. So obviously our thoughts are with them as they, they handle not just the reality of having to watch one of their own experience, something so traumatizing, but also, to To have to deal with everything else that comes with a tragedy like this from the outside world, I just I applaud them and the job that they've been able to do so far.
1: It's it's crazy, man. As much as we love the sport of football and everything, you know, like I said, we went to Saints Eagles with Brittany and Josh Sweat collapsed in that game, and, and Brittany was like freaking out because she'd never seen that live. She's like, "Is he okay? Is he okay?" And I was like, "Hey, how this stuff kind of works sometimes, man, is you just." Kind of say a little prayer if that's your thing. And then, you know, you just scroll Twitter and see what the update is. And for Sweat, you know, he kind of woke up. He was good to go. And I was like, you know, it's crazy how often that happens. And then obviously the next day, you know, this happened. And it just goes to show, you know, if you ever find yourself mad at a player or a recruit, you know, who for whatever reason, oh, this guy left my team or this guy picked the wrong team, blah, blah, blah. It goes underrated how these guys put their bodies on the line every day. You know, even we've seen some of these hits that are either targeting all that stuff. It's like, hey, something may or may not be targeting, but it could will still take months or years off of someone's life just based on every piece of stuff that we've seen so it just goes to show the sacrifices that these guys you know go through every time they, they lace up and, and put on a helmet and it's for you know it's for their fun obviously and for their families but it's mainly for our, our entertainment so just uh you know just honestly appreciative and thankful for what all these guys go through and you know making it look so easy so if you see a guy like you know hunter or whatever it's doing his like youtube thing it's like hey man you know these guys are getting hit by a car you know what i'm saying like every other play so it's just it's tough man it's just a reminder that game that we love so much can be so can be so you know scary sometimes had a lot not to get too preachy to close here um but
0: we've had a lot of moments this year in which we just kind of realized life is precious to talked about it with with mike leach and how sudden that whole situation was and understanding that um just not promise anything you're not mm-hmm. and uh, how you handle those situations is ultimately what 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 defines you in this life and seeing the way that there, there has been so much positive. I think that is that has come from a situation that is just so unbelievably tragic. And just hope that that there are more positives to come from this um, down the road. Okay, well, that's a good pod. That's a great pod. Let's talk about man. Whole lot to talk about national championship monday nights now everybody's going to mm-hmm. be dialed into that one maybe during commercial break or something like that just go and leave us a five-star review subscribe to this mm-hmm. podcast tell a friend about this podcast say hey do you subscribe to the saturday on south podcast because you totally should what a great little icebreaker if you're going to a watch <laughs> party or something like that monday night they are like i had some great insight uh came from the saturday down south podcast so go do that join the facebook group hear your name right on air with figuring out or bold and brass thanks guys talk soon enjoy the national
3: championship